Welcome to the Oscar Best Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Kieran B. I recently completed my goal of watching every Oscar Best Picture winner ever and decided to start a podcast to review each one. Each episode, myself and a revolving co-host will discuss, assess, and evaluate a different Best Picture winner with the goal to establish a ranking for the entire list. This is not a who should have won podcast. We're here to discuss the inner circle of movies who took home the crown in their respective years. As a disclaimer, this is an opinion-based podcast and a subjective discussion by movie enthusiasts who don't claim to be trained experts. If we destroy your favorite movie or praise a movie you think is trash, we encourage you to write in at our email, which is at bestpicturepodcast at yahoo.com. This is the first ever podcast here, and uh, I'm here with Artie B to talk about The Departed. Artie, how you doing right, today? I'm doing good, doing? bud. How are you? I am fantastic. I got my Montauk Session IPA right here. I am drinking a Cigar City High Lie. All right, and we're talking about Martin Scorsese's 2006 movie, The Departed, which took home the Oscar for Best Picture, along with Best Adapted Screenplay, along with Best Director, Best Film Editing, and uh, was also nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Mark Wahlberg. Artie, what was, your, uh, what was your first experience of this movie? I think the first time I watched it, I watched it with the Jinjulis brothers, who are two friends of ours, in their upstairs bedroom. And then we watched the movie front to end, and I believe we watched it about six to eight more times in the next two months. Because the movie's rewatchability is absolutely tremendous. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to say that I saw this one in the theaters. And honestly, I, it's on so much that I've seen it bits and pieces a, a, a bunch of times since. But I hadn't, I don't think I really had fully sat down and watched it until this week, again, since I'd seen the theaters. So it was definitely a, a super interesting experience, uh, having not seen it in, you know, for, you know, in its entirety, beginning to end. When I saw it in the theater, you know, 10 plus years later, sit down again, and I totally got lost in it. Yeah, there's a lot going on in that movie. They, uh, I think it's Martin Scorsese's best mobster movie. I know that's a controversial statement, but uh, I think it's by far his best mobster movie. That is definitely uh, an interesting statement that we'll get into. So let's just start with it. Comes out the year 2006. George W. Bush is in the White House. Justin Timberlake's Bringing Sexy Back is the number one song of the year. The St. Louis Cardinals defeat the Detroit Tigers in the World Series. The Oscars are held in March of that 2007. Uh, as we said before, it takes home Best Picture along with Best Screenplay, Best uh, Editing, and Best Director. It's Scorsese's first and only Oscar, which is pretty wild considering his body of work. Yeah, he was robbed on The Aviator. Uh, the Aviator is one, I mean, Raging Bull... Taxi Driver, all these up for Best Picture, Goodfellas too, and I think um, Gangs of U Gangs of New York was probably up oh, for that movie. So over. Uh, <laughs> I have not invested the time <laughs> it takes to watch that oh, one yet. Oh boy! But now this movie is obviously a star-studded event. Jack Nicholson, Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Mark Wahlberg, Martin Sheen, Vera Farmiga, um, Alec Baldwin. If I forgot anybody, there's many more. This was kind of an event when it came out, for what I remember. I mean, it you was, know, all uh, these guys in, in that lineup. When that happens, it's a dangerous affair. I mean, I can't tell you how many movies where you have that star-studded lineup that are just a flop because they spend all the money on actors and not any on the, uh, 
Right, and they did the same with this movie. They spent a large chunk of the budget on acting. Yeah, I think it was a, a $90 million budget, and about half was strictly to pay the salaries of the actors. Right, the rest was probably for music rights for all the songs they used. Right, you had the, you had the great soundtrack, which Scorsese usually is adept at. By all accounts, this is a, a real script-driven project. The writer, William Monaghan, presented this script to Scorsese and Leo. This is a, this is a, a remake of a Hong Kong film that came out in 2002. So you're talking like four years before it came out. Internal Affairs. Uh, Infernal Affairs, yes. This gets written off as a remake sometimes. I mean, this is kind of, Departed is kind of a controversial movie in the sense that a lot of people think that he should have won the Oscar so many times before this. And this is a quote-unquote makeup movie. A lot of critics ripped it because they thought... Not a lot of critics, but some critics ripped it because they thought, oh, you know, it's a remake. And he dismisses it as a remake. Scorsese did not... Watch the movie, the the original movie, until after he his the um the set was done with the departed. He purposely did not want to to view it. He didn't want it to get in the way of his vision. And when he read the script, he had no idea that it was even a remake. Yeah, I think I heard that him and Leo both read the script and about halfway through or immediately upon finishing, called each other and were like, "We have to do this movie." And it was just like that, and they made the movie. Yeah, I mean, and when you're talking about two iconic figures coming together at the same time over. I think the, I, I saw an interview with, with Leo where he read the script and the word he used was flawless. You know, the ironic thing about uh, Leo saying that is apparently um, Martin Scorsese let a lot of the actors do a lot of improv and he went with a lot of scenes that uh, weren't in the script. That happens that. with great actors on set, though. When they have ideas, you go, okay, that's a great idea. And you go with it. Yeah, and, and you know, we'll get into that big time when it gets to Jack Nicholson's character because his... Basically, his whole role was more or less improv. Um, William Monaghan really didn't do much before this. I mean, he wrote um, Kingdom of Heaven. That's a great movie. I'm not familiar with. That's a great movie. Yeah, Liam Neeson. I mean, I, I think I always mix that and another one up, but I think that's the one with Orlando Bloom and Kira Knightley. Kira Knightley's a complete yeah. smoke show. And then he does The Departed, uh, and adapts that screenplay, uh, wins the Oscar for that. Then he works with Leo again on Body of Lies, which I can't say I'm familiar with either. That's Leo and Russell Crowe. Yeah, I'm not interested in that garbage. <laughs> Come on, Russell Crowe. That might be one of those movies where the salaries outweigh what the product. Uh, and then he does Edge of Darkness with Mel Gibson, and I can only imagine what that movie's about. That movie was good. Okay, all right. <laughs> I'll say it. Already has seen the whole works of William Monaghan. Um, I thought you said he hadn't done much. This is, what he's, this is what he's done. That was 2010, and from there, he looks like he dabbled in directing. Is that The Gambler? Uh, the Gam- you know The Gambler, too? No, I never heard of that. No, I don't know The Gambler, Mojave, or Marlowe, which is coming out. But anyway, that's William Monaghan, and, and by all accounts, this happened because of his script. And, and when we go back to the star-studded event, I mean, when you look at this movie on paper, the whole deal with half the salaries, or, you know, or half the budget is the salaries, and all the actors having input... I mean, this has disaster written all over it. It really you know, does. I mean, you have Matt Damon writing parts of his own character. You have Mark uh, Wahlberg writing parts of his own character. Jack Nicholson's making demands about who can wear uh, what sports apparel on, the, on, on set and not. You know, he's banning <laughs> Celtic hats. And, he wouldn't wear a Red Sox hat. Uh, refusing to wear. Um, and, and, you know, the movie's really filmed primarily in New York. It's right. not even really filmed in Boston, but they made, you know, 
It would have been unbearable to be in Boston for that long in general. So, <laughs> so uh, we want to get into the actual movie here. This is a movie I liked a lot. I got to be honest, right out of the gate. I think the acting, the chemistry of all the actors, the ensemble nature of it, to me is just, is really awe-inspiring. I mean, you start off with, uh, we'll talk, I, I don't, we want to talk a little bit about voiceovers and probably uh, the lack thereof in this movie. And Scorsese tends to lean on voiceovers a lot. The closest thing we get to a voiceover is the, is the opening scene where you have Nicholson doing his little monologue. Yeah. Uh, and you get your clips or real life clips of, of riots in Boston and and then it kind of goes, it, it kind of goes then to Damon as a kid, and then it kind of comes back to Nicholson talking to him. So you can kind of, I guess, infer that that opening monologue he's telling to the kid directly. Um, oh, I never thought about that. Yeah, I you think could. you know it's pretty important in the sense that just you could see that Damon from a from a young kid is pretty wrapped up in everything that Nicholson has and everything Nicholson um, lives for and right. is about. And when he first sees him, he's in a diner by himself. Like, he's what? He's eight, nine years old. He's out by himself. Where are his parents? Yeah. You know? yeah, I think he says he lives with his grandmother right. or something. So he's got no father figure. And daddy issues are a thing with this movie that, that will come up. Meanwhile, um, everyone who. Oh, yeah, you're right. No, uh, again and again with it. And Nichols, from that scene really on, Nicholson kind of becomes the father figure for him. Um, even you have later on in the movie where he's you know, calling him dad when he's secretly talking to him on the phone. And I will just probably stop right here and just remind anyone that there are going to be spoilers left and right here. We're not, if you haven't seen The Departed in 2019, you can probably pause here and go watch it, but we're not going <laughs> to tiptoe around the ending. We're, we're talking about the movie here, so, you know, there's going to be all sorts of headshots in the end, and we're going we're gonna to get into them. So, I guess, I mean, we've already kind of started talking about Matt Damon's character. I have a lot to say on him. Yeah, me too. Um, so we'll I, we'll just continue with him and we'll go back to Leo, I guess. Yeah, when so in the opening scene with Matt Damon as a kid, you see a clip of him, you know, as an altar boy, and then later in the movie you see Jack Nicholson approach a priest, two priests, and that uh, that nun that he had you know relations with before she took her vows, and he says, you know, he basically confronts him about accusing boys and says, "You remember what we talked about? You know, I believe you said this is how God made you." Blah, blah, blah. So you know that Jack Nicholson knows the priest's molested boys, and you know that Matt Damon, as a young boy, was an altar boy. There's also a reference during when, when Wahlberg and Sheen are doing their initial interview with Leo. Or they're ripping apart his whole family tree, and he comes back and says, well, I guess you don't want to mention that one of my relatives is a priest. And then Wahlberg, you know, rips him apart for... And, and I think that's a little bit indicative of everything that's going on in Boston at, at the time. I mean, I think this is right. I mean, you know, the scandals are all coming out around then. Um, another movie on the list that we'll get to at some point, and probably in a while because it's not my favorite, is a Spotlight, which kind of covers that whole deal. You know, and interestingly enough, Scorsese was in the, the seminary to become a priest before he decided to, to leave and be... And, get into movies. He's a, you know, a, a well-stated man of faith. So it's a very interesting, they're not going to hit on that point unless they want that to really be indicative of the character right. of Matt Damon. And we later on, he has the impetus he issues. He's got erectile dysfunction. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he needs the, uh, he needs the Cialis. To yeah. Get going. And you know, we could touch upon that later, but that leads to more, you know, inferences you could make throughout the movie. One of the reasons I love this movie and think it's his best mobster movie is because he doesn't use the voiceover. He shows you all of these things 
indirectly. He leads you to infer all of these bits of the story without telling you up front, right away, the first watch that these are parts of the story. That's one of the things that contributes to the movie's tremendous rewatchability. Every time you watch the movie, you pick up on... I watched the movie for the 19th time last night, and you pick up on stuff you never picked up on every single time. You always take the hard line with the voiceovers. It's It's an easy way out. And this movie's evidence of that. This movie is so good at doing what a voiceover does in a better way. And I think it, it shows how far he's come as a, you know, as a director and, and where he's not leaning on the... He is using um, Kimmy Shelter for the third time in his movie career. Yeah. Uh, for better or for worse, I mean... And it, I, works, I in every, it works in every movie. I, yeah, it I, I kind of like it. You know, it if does. you're going to kind of make that a, a theme with your mobster movies... It's the one you know, Rolling Stones song I can tolerate. I heard someone call it lazy, but like to me, he's not... Not, he's not doing it for a reason. He's not like he doesn't know any of the Rolling Stones songs or he doesn't know any of the songs he wants to, to, to put in here. Because the soundtrack is phenomenal. Phenomenal. Uh, phenomenal in this, in this. Sound editing is probably the, even better the score, because... The score is done by How, Howard Shore, who's right. most notable for The Lord of the Rings. He did all the Lord of the Ring movies, won the Oscars for those. Uh, he also did... He worked with Scorsese on The Aviator, Gangs of New York, and Hugo. He did Sounds of the Lambs. He did Seven. He did Philadelphia. Wait, did you Doubtfire. say Hugo? Yeah, yeah, Hugo. You don't mean the horse movie? No, that's Hidalgo. Oh my yes. god! I was like, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> no, Hugo is like the semi-animated movie. I think that I have not. I you know I, I might even be talking out of my ass here. I don't know. Yeah, I have not ignore seen that. Hugo, but it was that. it was nominated for best picture. Make sure you ignore that computer right in front of you with uh, the Google like uh, right, the Google, Yeah, the Google, no, I don't know what machine. it is. Yeah. The Google machine, but yes. So uh, the guy has you know done scored multiple. If he scored Lord movies. of the Rings, he's the Hall of Famer. Yeah, Lord in of my the Rings, Silence of the Lambs, Seven, Philadelphia, yeah, Mrs. Doubtfire. I, I don't know the Mrs. <laughs> Doubtfire a score. Bunch of like the back of my hand, a bunch of thrillers, yeah. and then um, and Mrs. Doubtfire. Yep, that's hysterical. So, uh, but yeah, the soundtrack is is killer. They edited so well. Like there's scenes where there's loud music and tension building up, and Matt Damon. Flips open the phone for Martin Sheen after Martin Sheen dies and the music stops. Yep. And the silence. And that silence is super powerful <laughs> because of the loud build-up music and then the silence when he flips open the phone. Yeah, they, they do that a couple times in the stop movie. Stop and go. The other example I have, which stop is and go, one right. of my favorite scenes of the movie, is when he's in, uh, when Leo is in Vera Farmiga's apartment and that super awesome version of Comfortably Numb is playing, uh, it's Roger Waters playing with Van Morrison and the band. That's leading up, and, and you know, it's, that song is kind of, has that kind of slow build into a, into a kick-right-in deal. Yeah, I'm glad um, you touched upon my least favorite scene in the entire movie. All right, movie. good. So <laughs> that's, that's excellent. I think um, using a live version of a song in a movie is just weird. I don't know what it is. I, I like the song Comfortably Numb. I love the song Comfortably Numb. I, this version, I didn't even know anything about it. I didn't care to look up who it was. Saying I knew it was Pink Floyd. I know it was Roger Waters with Van Morrison. That's, you know, cooler. But I, I don't know. That scene's also weird. The dialogue's weird. The tension's weird. I, I don't know. Yeah. I it's mean, necessary. That's, that's a good... That's, it's necessary. Yeah, that's a good... But it um, makes me feel weird. disagreement point there. It makes me um, feel weird. I feel like I'm in the room while yeah. they're having that conversation, and yeah. I'm like, "Do you guys want me to leave?" You know, <laughs> I don't disagree with that. And but I, mean, I, mean, I think they're even one of the lines that they even like comment on how weird it is. It's just, she's like, like, "Your vulnerability like, is freaking me out." Here. Yeah, is yeah. it real? I was yeah. like, "Okay." Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, now like, as yeah, far as like real, using man. a live song, I mean, I don't know. I really couldn't disagree more. I think that that 
you picked a song that we've all heard a million damn times before that it's like if he's just sticking it straight out of classic rock radio it's like all right here we go comfortably numb again but then it's like well wait a minute this is comfortably numb but what am i listening to is that even like pink floyd and then you know it, it is roger waters singing with van morrison and it's just kind of a it it i think it adds to that tension in the room a little bit and kind of I mean, it I adds to at, the it adds to the uncomfortability of it because that's not the version we're comfortable with. Yeah, um, and, and that's why I don't um, like it. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> when I was looking back at this movie, that to me was one of the scenes I remembered the most. Not to say it's the best scene in the movie, but looking back, I just remember the and and the comfortably numb, just stopping, like we said before, the silence, them kind of doing whatever, they, and then kicking back in. You know, when they uh, when they start getting after it. I love. Um, I, I I will say again with the sound editing. Um, I love when they do that. They have yeah. a song playing, they back it out for some dialogue, and then you come back like kind of where it was, like they lowered it or talked over it. You feel that's why you feel like you're there, and that's yeah. why I'm uncomfortable, and that's why I don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even. The, you know, the dialogue is definitely super weird. I mean, I and she's constantly touching her lip, yep. constantly the mm-hmm. whole movie. I'm just like she's gonna get sick. You know, she touches door <laughs> handles all day. Like you can't just constantly put your fingers in your mouth. What are you three years old? Ugh. Um, I do want to get back to this scene later because there's more to discuss here with it. Like Leo's penis works well, and Matt Damon's doesn't. <laughs> and it's a good, I mean, it's, for, for like a not a gratuitous sex scene, it's a pretty, it's a pretty solid kind of. They kind of uh, really hooked up uh, on camera. Yeah. Like he grabs pretty, your butt. Just, it was kind of like a hot you scene. Know? Yeah. Um, but now let's go back to Matt Damon. He's such a dick in the movie. He really, like, if you. If when, when he's moving in with her and, you know, he's got his apartment, his beloved apartment where he stares at the Massachusetts State State Building. And uh, there's, there's a clip from earlier on in the movie where they're at the academy and he's sitting. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's staring at Yeah, it. he's complaining about the firefighters and, you know, using um, He's literally using calling on them, homos right, right, you know, nonstop. Uh, and he's just staring at the at the State Building. And you have the, um, the other trooper, um, you know, it's a... It's a forgettable actor with a forgettable. Yeah, movie. but by the end of the movie, you find out he's in on it too, which is a great twist. Is, right, you, know, you pick an insular character and have him. But if you watch their uh, his relationship with Barrigan, is the, is the have character you heard the uh, the deeper theory on Matt Damon, which I do not I do not subscribe to, but it's very interesting. Okay, no, what, what do you got? So you know Matt Matt Damon's super insecure throughout the movie. Right, control. It's, he's his character is all about control and having constantly needing control at all times. Right, and and, and he's super insecure when he when he doesn't have. Yeah, which you know lends to the point about him being molested by the priests mm-hmm. at the beginning yeah. and him having erectile dysfunction. And that scene is like, why is Martin Scorsese have to have her taking a banana, peeling it, and breaking uh, it in uh, half little, while talking yeah, about? Little, it's like we get it. You're talking about a penis. Yeah, definitely over the top. I mean, listen, the the rat at the end of the movie is as. Over the top, obnoxious yeah. symbolism in front of the yeah. state building in a, yeah. in a beautiful, nice apartment. There's just right. rats crawling around on the yeah. top floor. Um, all over the top, but you know, I get, I can see his what he's saying because they don't really say it, and he wants to kind of put the banana in there. It, it's over the top imagery, which there is, but it sends the message. We now know he has erectile right. dysfunction without them saying it specifically. You know, so. Um, so he has the priests at the beginning, which, and then he has the erectile dysfunction. And then there's a scene where Alec Baldwin's at the driving range hitting golf balls. Right. He's like, working over time. Which is, he has the, Alec Baldwin's <laughs> voice in the movie is yeah. the best. He's like, gotta let him know your cock works. Gotta your let him cock. know, gotta know your, your cock, cock works. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, it's working all right. Over time. Like he's so insecure <laughs> right. at that moment. Yep. 
So there's a deeper theory, which I don't subscribe to, that he's gay. And in the opening scene, he's not... The reason he insecurely calls him homos like eight yeah. times and sits next to that guy and kind of feels him out, quote-unquote, is to see if he's gay as well. Yeah, I definitely... Uh, but I don't believe the gay thing yeah, because he's I, I, very I he's flirty. Abused. I think he's abused. Yeah, he was molested. You know, yeah, he's so he's openly think, chauvinistic, but yeah. he really can't do anything in the bedroom. Yeah, if he's fe- feeling out that character. I, mean, I think that I think that the I don't like the gay theory. Uh, I don't I don't view it as that. I view it as what we what you had right. originally saying he was the, abused, he was molested, and therefore he's uncomfortable around sexuality because right. of that. Of um, course, and he even says there's a line where right um, when he wants to move and she doesn't want to move, and he's like, "I'm Irish. Something's wrong. I'll deal with it for the rest of my life." Yeah, like it. He's dealing with the. He's hinting at that he's dealing with something for the rest of his life. They established that kind of like casual relationship with or casual friendship with um the, the trooper barrigan who ultimately is the is the guy who takes out leo at the end it, there's a couple of scenes with them with each other there's the one sitting where they're talking about the firefighters and then there's one later on where matt damon escalates very quickly you know through the through the office system of of um of the cops and and he's kind of you, you have Barrigan's there in his in his in his uniform, uniform and he's in the suit. You want any suits? You know, you look about you're about to invade Poland. It's one of my favorite um, lines of the yeah, movie. Yeah, it's great. And he Damon has this thing with cops where he he doesn't. Damon and, and DiCaprio both come from crime in this movie, and he wants to be above the cops. He wants the cops to be below him when he's looking at his apartment. And the uh, the realtor comes in and says, "Oh, you know, uh, there's a lot of space, or you're a cop." And he's like, oh, "I'm not a cop. I'm a uh, I'm a, a state a, detective. A state detective. Yeah. He's you know, don't call me a cop." Uh, he sees Barrigan in his you know in the suit. You don't know any suits. He's constantly kind of want to wants to raise himself above the cops, which leads into why he's you know basically the rat within them, where because he wants to control the environment, he wants to be. In charge of everything, even though that there may be superiors above him, he, in his mind, he has control over them because he's controlling all the information that's coming in and out of there because he's talking to Costello the whole time. And that's that that state house, that viewing over the state house is kind of his image of, of control, wanting to get to that top, wanting to sort of the top. And I look at the DiCaprio character and you have him. I want to be a cop. I want to be a cop because I want to get out of the crime life that I grew up in. Um, not necessarily that he grew up in, but around, and and they thrust him right back into crime. Yeah, life. They, they. I mean, they look at you know. We'll start to talk about the Caprio. They, they sit him down and look at him, and they say, "You, who are you trying to kid? You're not a cop. You'll never be a cop." I love that scene. They are, they are interviewing him to see if he can handle the undercover life. They they attack him. They attack his family. They try to make him crack. And he sits there with his hands crossed, and he, his voice shakes a little bit, but he keeps it together. And that's what they're kind of testing. And that's why Mark Mark Wahlberg's so aggressive to see if he can get him to crack and see if he's, like, worth it. And Martin Sheen's like, he's got his own style. We all just have to get used to it. But it's a style of doing something productive. It's really weeding out. If he did that to Matt Damon, Matt Damon would probably oh, walk yeah, out in tears yeah. and quit, you know? So he yeah. wants to see how Leo handles it. You know, and they, they establish that he has supreme intelligence, basically an unschooled... Psychologist. It, he's an unschooled guy out of the hood who has a 1400 on his SATs. Right. So why do you want to be a cop? What he you also doing? psychoanalyzes the psychiatrist. They're both of high t- intelligence. Uh, you have, you know, you have in the opening scene, you have um, 
Nicholson quoting Jane Joyce and Damon as a kid instantly knows it. You have in his interview with them, DiCaprio's quoting Hawthorne and Wahlberg's all, you know, yeah, don't you know any Shakespeare? Shakespeare. Um, you know, so they're, they're both, they're definitely neither of them are, are wired like cops in Boston at this time. And one thing that, and, and you know, like as, as great as this movie is and as awesome as the acting is, there's definitely like plot issues throughout that, you know, that you look at that you got to kind of, you don't want to get into nitpick more. I do kind of sit there. I mean, this is a raw deal that DiCaprio is getting here. I mean, he just got through the academy. He's going to become a cop. And they're basically sitting here saying, well, you have to take this. No, they wrote a number on a piece of paper and gave it to him. Now, what if that number was $1 million? Do you get the impression what, that okay, it was a large number? Do you get the impression that he's doing this for the money? No, I think, I think, I think he's, like you said, he was raised around crime and now he's like, I'm trying to straighten my life out. And here they are bringing me right in, giving me an opportunity to go back into that life. And they're throwing a, a million dollars at me, let's say. That's going to not, he's not going to be able to resist that. If he's yeah. like, listen, I'm going to actually, and he's going to actually get to do police work. Yeah. And I think he's going to make a difference in his mind. And that's one of the things that he wants to, he is. He doesn't he, drink. You know, he did in that one scene when he's, he's drinking the wine in his room. Being, the, the pills end up being his... Right, and he drinks, he's drinking out of a bottle of wine in one scene right. in his apartment. But he, it's like he only does that in his apartment by himself. Yeah. When he's working, like at the bar that Costello owns, he only orders cranberry juice. Right. He's, he's desperate to, to make his life mean something in this, in this community, in this world. Because he has nobody to establish. He has no family. His, really, his mother seems to be the only one who's really ever good to him. Uh, once, once, you know, she passes, his dad was an honorable guy, but he worked so much that yeah. it was part of his honorability, but he also wasn't around. His uncle's a bookie in the crime world. His uncle was involved with Costello and Frenchie. Yeah. His cousin's so a complete this, he's, idiot. He's desperate to just kind of, you know, he has that, I have nothing. And I, and you know, I guess Sheen and Wahlberg, um, McQueen and Indignum see that, uh, and, and play off of that and know they kind of have him, but it's like. What I ask myself is like, what happens if he says no? Like, what? Like, why are you not going to let me be a cop? I passed the academy. You right. know, it's not. And they don't they say. They would you, let him. Yeah, be they a don't cop. say you're not going to. They basically say that you're not going to do this. You know, you're not going to do this forever. It it is a Costello. Raw deal, though. Costello also correctly. All his instincts at the beginning are correct about Leah being a cop. He's like, guys, he can't trust a guy with nothing to lose. He used to think that about his about Costigan Senior. He's like, guy didn't care about money. You can't do anything with the guy who doesn't care about money. Yeah. And when in at the very beginning, when he's trying to figure out if Costigan's trustworthy, he's like, you know, Leo's cap character's trustworthy. He's like, yeah, you know, the guy's got nothing to lose. You can't trust the guy with less than nothing to lose. And that was right after they smashed his hand and interrogated him. And he's still like, you know, I, I have a bad feeling about it. And in the end, he ends up trusting him more than anyone else. Only because he incorrectly trusted Matt Damon when Matt Damon said it's definitely not William Costigan. Yeah. So it's all like a big ironic circle. Like he trusts Matt Damon when he searched him. He's like, there's nothing in the database with the citizens trust information. He's like, there's nothing in the database. There's no William Costigan. It's definitely not him. And then Jack Nicholson from that point on is like, all right, I believe that. I believe what you say, even though you should never believe Matt Damon in this movie. Yeah. Admittedly. And, and I mean, the, go, going back to the plot stuff, too, that's good. Well, I, he's got to look at him from that camera with him running away. He's got to back look at him. You know, all the Costello's guys are these fat schlubs. Right. 
and you have one young athletic guy running into that. How do you not know that's that him know at that point? Point. You can't line him up. And, and the other thing on the flip side, and, and you know, they, as great as his character is, Damon's acting is okay in this. It's, it's strong. See, I um, like it. I think I think strong. I didn't like it at first. I felt like he was trying to act. Yeah. But then I later kind of got the vibe that his character is trying to act. Like yeah. that's what yeah. he's yeah, that's, that's kind of what I, his I character like, is. I love the character. I, I like his performance. But the scenes where he's with the cops and the cops are actively trying to find this rat. They change something up and all of a sudden he's oh, I'm, I'm, you're changing it? You're changing it? I, I, I can make a phone call. You know, it's like how are they not, like how are Baldwin and and Sheen and not seeing like the way oh, that Baldwin's this guy's oblivious. Acting, the whole movie Baldwin's that, oblivious. That, that's fair. But even just any any cop in the room when they know that one of them's a rat, the second he Wahlberg knew something he was up, a rat. He called them a rat fuck and blocked them from going into uh, that office. Uh, I forget who's who was in the office. It wasn't Martin. I, it was Martin Sheen trying to go into Martin Sheen's office, try to get the identity of his of his uh, contact of Leo. And Mark Wahlberg stands there and goes side to side and blocks him. He's like, "You don't think I can smell a rat? Fuck!" Like he curses yeah. right in his face. He knows he's a rat, and he never stopped believing that he was the rat. Yeah, and the tension between the two of them is clear from the start. Mark Wahlberg's the best the cop end. in the movie. He's yeah. the best cop in the movie. He does the most good. Uh, I, interesting. Th- you want to talk about Mark Wahlberg for a second? Let's we'll go off on a tangent. All right, Stu, because I, <clears throat> I have a theory that he's a good guy. I have an unpopular <clears throat> opinion about his role in this, but go on. Let's get, let's. I have a theory that he's a good guy. The only people he disrespects in tone, in infliction, in in content of words is subordinates. He completely respects Martin Sheen. He never yells and never curses at him, nothing. Alec Baldwin, even when he's standing next to Mark Wahlberg and Mark Wahlberg's like, my theory on feds is treat him like mushrooms, feed him shit and whatever. Yeah, keep him in the dark. Keep him in the dark. And Mark Wahlberg goes, go fuck yourself. He's like, go f-, he says, he's like, go f- fuck your wife or something. Yeah. He's like, how's your wife? He's tired. With my father. You're doing, she, Alec yeah. Baldwin's like, she's like, she's good. Tired from fucking my father. Like, he doesn't raise his voice to Alec Baldwin. He keeps a nice steady tone because they're kind of, like, equal. Yeah. Um, with, well, you with have the Leo as, when he suspends him. Um, but that's that's after he punches Matt Damon in the face. That's after he, Martin Sheen dies. That was when yeah, everything goes Yeah, we're off the rails. Yeah, it's time. off the rails. But, I mean, throughout the movie, like, when he's rough to Matt Damon, when oh, he's doing that FBI meeting with all the people sitting in a circle. And one guy speaks out of turn and he's like, who the fuck are you? Like he curses at him. And then Matt Damon's like, well, I know this guy. It's so-and-so and so-and-so. And and Mark Wahlberg literally just like shrugs his shoulders, looks to the side like his time is being wasted. And Alec Baldwin's like, we're not here to try to solve the case of the missing douchebag. We're here to bring down Costello. And and Mark Wahlberg can't tolerate when someone speaks out of turn. He's very militaristic. Yeah, and Baldwin has... But he's not a bad guy. And two people make comments. Let me just finish. Two people make comments about him not being a bad guy. Martin Sheen, who goes, he's, he's, you just, he, this is uh, Sergeant Dignam has his own style. You just have to get used to it. And Alec Baldwin goes, he's really, you know, something to the effect of he's really very nice. You know, don't judge him by this first meeting. Yeah, like, right. And right. they both that believe that, I think. Baldwin... Who I love in this movie, I thought he, I thought he, yeah, knocked he's it unbelievable. Out of the park created a man, keeps, a great character. Yeah, he he keeps the the drama and the comedy in a perfect medium, and he, Matt Damon is the apple of his eye. Matt Damon is his his protege. He views him as bringing up. That's why you know Matt Damon's put in charge of the Eternal Affairs within the Eternal Affairs. You can see kind of the disappointment in 
how things are unraveling with Baldwin when he suspends Dignam. And then that's when that's things kind of really start to go off the rails in there. After I watched this the first time in the theaters and it came out, you know, the awards obviously come out a little later. This is this uh, debuted in theaters, I think, in September of 2006. Yeah, it was so a late awards, release. Yeah, it was a late release, fall release. So, you know, the, the awards are in February, March. The awards came out and, you know, I'm sitting here waiting for a Leo nomination, maybe even a Nicholson nomination. You um, can make an argument that any one of them should have been nominated. Yeah, and, and there was political reasons that, um, that I guess, DiCaprio didn't get nominated for Best Actor. The same producer also produced Blood Diamond. And you kind of have to, the way the Oscars works, you have to campaign for your own people and then the Academy votes. And they put all their <clears throat> effort in campaigning for his role in Blood Diamond they knew he wasn't going to get nominated twice for the same role. I think it may have has happened in the past, like, before. So basically, he wasn't up for, for best actor because they, they went with the Blood Diamond instead. He's great in that, um, too. Yeah, That's a great it. movie. Oh, it. great movie. Great movie. Um, and they're produced by the same guy. So um, what, what it then becomes <laughs> is he's going to be supporting actor now, which to me is ridiculous because... It's not a supporting actor. Him and Damon are, are dual lead actors in this movie, okay. in my opinion. Uh, and, and so, ultimately, DiCaprio declined this, this, the nomination for supporting actor. Because oh, I didn't he know you could do that. Yeah, he didn't want to get in the way of his... Um, Wahlberg. Or... Yeah, of one, of one of his, you know, his co-stars. Him and Wahlberg um, go back to Basketball Diaries in the 90s. Yeah. That's another one I did not see. I didn't see that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Wahlberg gets the nomination. Now, I remember coming out and going, Really? And you know, I think years, I know what you're years say. past, I watched it again this time, and I watched it again, and I just, and I, just I kind of stuck with my really, really, like I, it's, I realize it's an unpopular opinion, and I'm, like, most people I talk to about this movie love him in this, and I like him in this, but I don't see an Oscar-nominated performance out of him when there's kind of other roles in it that I preferred. You Is know? one of your arguments that there's not enough screen time for him? No, I'm, 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 if you can, I mean, there's that guys was one of my original scene. arguments, but then as I've watched the movie more and more, I realize he's in a lot of scenes. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I just think his, his actor, his, his, his role is dialed up to 10 at all times. And it's like, it's good. It's, it's a great character within the story. He does a good job embodying the Boston cop. I just don't. I just don't know if I see this like Academy of Performance at him. I just. I just always looked at that role and said, "All right, it's a good role, but I mean, it doesn't stand out to me as the best role in this movie." Oh, and definitely it's t- not. And it's just kind of a. It's just kind of weird to see all the other guys not get nominated. Did Nicholson get th- nominated? Well, he didn't. Because that's didn't. a shame. Because he should have. Um, he he has some great scenes. Let's talk about Nicholson. He is bizarre in this movie. Uh, he's great. He has very weird morals. Um, he, his, and his, even just his acting choices. Like he's, he's himself and he go, he clearly goes in here and says, and they've said like on set, they had no idea what he was going to do next. Like he, he was out there just being Jack. He and I think that, 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 I look at that and say that that's like a, that's like a gem. Uh, and, and that's like, that's the kind of thing that years from now you look back at that and say like, oh, I wish we still had this going on today. Yep. Um, and Great. this is essentially his last movie, his last film, real film. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I heard, I've, I've listened to people criticize this movie, and one of the main focuses of their criticism is Jack Nicholson, because I know, which I don't How agree do you with. How criticize we, Jack Nicholson? 
I, I mean, imagine this. Imagine you're in a room and there's actors sitting at a table and there's lighting guys and mic guys and a camera. And they say, okay, go act. And Jack Nicholson does the stuff that he does when he's at the bar calling Leo a rat. He's like, yeah, he's sniveling, right? Like making the devil <laughs> eyebrows and acting hammered yeah. and, you know, spitting on a drawing. And, and he's like, he'd sobbed in. And then he's yeah. behind them whispering like a fucking demon. Right. Like it, that you said at go. And that's what this guy did. Like that, that's the definition of the best actor right there. Like that's unbelievable. Yeah, and, and he's, you know, he's, could, could another actor get away with doing exactly what he's doing? Almost certainly not. You don't know, No. And, and, you know, like, so I, I've heard, you know, you, people will, will rank on his accent a little bit in this. And the accents, for the most part of this movie, are kind of all over the place. Um, oh, some are better than others. Jack Nicholson um, chose when he felt like speaking right. Bostonian. Like, he's like, oh, what was it, with the microprocessors. He's like, no, Tiki, no Landry. It's like, come on. You have not spoken like that once this movie. And now you're like, no Landry. No Landry. You're like, because in, in this country, like, totally normal. Well, so, I mean, so, yeah, so a, a film critic will look at that and say that's, you know, that's real, that's schlocky in, acting. An interesting point to that right. is I've heard a quote from the, the uh, Martin Scorsese and the cinematographer about the discontinuity issues. Okay. And they flat out don't care. They're like, it works. Yeah, yeah it does it work. It clearly and works. that's one of the reasons there's, why there's this scenes, movie works. There's scenes where in the background they show Jack Nicholson talking and in the background there's a lady with a flower hat. And then they cut away and they go back to Jack Nicholson and the lady's gone. Like, there's just total continuity issues throughout the movie. But you're not looking. The acting is so strong. You are looking at the faces of these actors. You're not looking in the background. It works. Yeah. They're right. They're right. It's basic filmmaking. Like, And it's, it's not, like, it's not like, a, like a bad college project either. I mean, it won an award for film editing. So it's not like this, this is just like this, this real, like, like phoned in, no, just like, hey, just get up there and have fun. That's my point. These two are so forward- thinking and advanced and above everyone else that they went, there's continuity issues. You know what? It works. We'll pr and they win Best Picture and Best Film Editing. I'll flip this around for, the, for those that, that look at the, at the Nicholson performance, the sloppy or whatever That's you want to put on it. Uh, I, don't, yeah, I, don't, I don't agree with that, but let's say you hired a method actor to come in and play that role. So let's say, just say, you know, just pick, uh, pick a... Uh, um, Daniel Day-Lewis. I was avoiding saying Daniel Day-Lewis, but all right, so let's just say you take a guy who takes the role super seriously and just is focused on playing this evil villain. You have a different movie. You have right. a completely different movie. If that character is a tight, kind of um, focused on delivering this, this evil psychopathic entity, which is what it was written as, but... The memorable, the memorable moments of this movie are Jack Nicholson. I mean, right. I, I, the, in my, in my watch this week, to me, he just popped on the screen every single time he was on it, uh, and and those are the lines I remember. Yeah. You know, and, and he it's, has countless lines in this movie. Oh, and it's just you know, and it's just great. And I, uh, I guess I you don't want to give him an Oscar because it's kind of an all over the place, you know, or an Oscar nomination. But you got to remember here, this is like the final lap of an unbelievable career here with this movie. I mean, and he really didn't do anything after this. I mean, I... No, I, not, not... No, he did some rom-coms. Yeah. yeah, but I don't I, know. Those Mr. Think were Deeds, before. Mr. Deeds, didn't he do Mr. Uh, uh, anger, anger Management, management maybe? maybe? 
That's I don't know. I think anger management is after. <clears throat> so this... Um, and then most of the others are before. I actually just thought of this. There's a scene in the beginning where Jack Nicholson has a quick little two-line quip that kind of lets you know he's going to... He's going to groom Matt Damon to be a state trooper. He's like, you know, the difference between a cop and a criminal. You know, when you're staring down a gun, the barrel of a gun, what's the, what's difference? the difference? Yeah, that's You know, the... he's kind of, he says that to him as a kid. Like, yeah. don't think about them as different. Like, you're going to be a, a cop criminal kind of. Like, he's grooming them. Yeah, and that's blatant. Control. That's not an incidental line that's blatantly put there, which is very bright. That's why it's a good script. Yeah, and the first line of the movie is, you know... It's I, about I identity. The movie's about identity. It, the movie's about identity, yeah. And, and the, you know, the first line of the movie is, I don't give... I'm not a product of my environment. The environment is a product yeah. of me. And you know what? The entire movie, that is what it is. Mm-hmm. Every scene is a product of Frank Costello's creation, you know? Like, he created this whole underworld. The, the cops are focusing all their energy on what he and, has created. And meanwhile, he's talking to the FBI. And he's playing and that's the, the, best part the FBI of the movie. against the cops. Finding out that he's an FBI informant changes the movie because another thing that gives it rewatchability. Rewatch the movie knowing he knows he's invincible. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. He and just knows he's invincible. So I love that kind of twist. Like he's a protected FBI informant and no one knows. Martin Sheen didn't know. No one knew. So he wins Best Actor in nineteen ninety seven for as good as it gets. Deserved. That's his last that's deserved. Prominent he won for One for, Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, right? Uh, yeah, One Flew Cuckoo's Nest. And, and um, the Two Good Men. Are you sure? Terms of Endearment. Uh, Terms of Endearment. There's three Oscars. Uh, three, he's nominated about nine times. Oh, okay. Um, so he wins for As Good As It Gets in 97. And that's his last like major role before this. Um, he does About Schmidt, which he's also nominated for in 2002 for Supporting Actor. Anger then he does management. Anger Management in 2003. Then he does Something's Gotta Give also that same year. So that's kind of his rom-com mode there. And then The Depart is 2006. Um, Mostly yeah, that's, I mean, that's it. He does The Bucket List in 2007. The I'm Still Here is that uh, Joaquin Phoenix weird documentary. Yeah, he's, he's not in that for long, I don't think. And then I don't know How Do You Know in 2010. Supposedly he's going to do another project at some point, but there's nothing listed. So I want to talk a little bit more in depth about Leo's character here because he's, you know, by all accounts is kind of the the mainstay of this whole movie here. We talked about that voiceover stuff before, and it's all well and good to say voiceovers are lazy and, you know, you can you can do it better. But you can't do it better unless you have actors who can pull it off. And right. he, my God, he pulls it off so well in this movie. And, you know, you, you talked about that scene earlier where uh, they're, they're Sheen and, and Wahlberg are breaking him down. And you can just read his face. And he doesn't, ha- he's not talking back. He's not arguing. You can tell he wants to. Right. And you can just read the emotions right in there, and you, the changing emotions, the frustration, the the withheld frustration. Yeah, and not just frustration, but kind of disappointment, where he he thinks he's going into this and getting what Damon got in the you know basically a pat on the back, and you can you can go places, kid. Instead, they're telling him, "No, nah, you're not." And here's here's this raw deal we have for you. See, I don't think they pressure him that way. I think they legitimately ask him, and I've seen this movie, you know, upwards yep. at least 15 times. No joke. No exaggeration. I think they legitimately ask him, like, do you want to be a cop or do you want to do real police work? And he's like, you know what? I do want to do real police work. 
it, yeah, they good cop, bad cop them, and and you, she, she they do it the whole movie. Is, they do, and Sheen plays a great good cop. Oh, in it. Um, and Mark Wahlberg. He's another the, one who's Mark Wahlberg is the best bad cop. Oh. Sheen's accent for a veteran actor, his accent yeah. is all over the place. Mar- Martin Martin Sheen, <clears throat> excuse me, in The Departed, is literally like. In the middle of a scene, he remembers he's supposed to be talking in a Boston right, right. accent. It, so he throws in a, hey, every now and then. I, I remember, it reminds me of, there's a Family Guy skit where there's a, I forget which actor they're making fun of, but they have an actor who kind of just wakes up hungover and goes, oh, who I got to play today? Henry VIII? All right. I, 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 there it is. Okay, there it is. Isn't it, uh, you know, oh, it's the guy who got stuck with the prostitutes and he was in nine months. Isn't it him? Oh, Hugh Grant. Grant. Isn't it Hugh well, Grant? yeah, right. It's just all over the place. His accent, and and they really, the inconsistencies of the accents in this movie are are kind of comical to a point. And then you have guys who grew up in Boston that have authentic Boston accents, Mark like Wahlberg, like Damon. Um, you know, uh, but the, the the Sheen one, the psychiatrist is another. Well, Landry is my favorite line <laughs> in the movie. You know, Landry. It's is, like Scorsese. He's like, say something in Boston. He's like, all right, Landry. Yeah, there's no, and there's no, there's no way Scorsese is paying attention to these plots. He's like, I've got a Boston accent. He still thinks he's 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 directing Italian New Yorkers. Yeah. It does need to be stated what a raw deal Leo has here. I mean, he's good. Well, we're going to convict you of a felony, and then we're going to throw you in prison. Assault we'll let you out. Seems yeah, suitable. assault seems suitable. Yeah, you, you assaulted uh, someone. We're just going to convict you of it. Like you don't even get to do it. You know, we're just going to convict you. You're going to do enough jail time to be convincing. Right. Oh, okay. So you're sending me to jail. I just went to the police academy. Like, yeah, you're you know, sending you me to those, jail. Do those jail pull-ups with your elbows, and you'll be fine. You know, that you'll you'll keep yourself in shape that way, and. It'll all be good. And then they, so basically they just send this pretty boy to jail to, you know, and they, they, they emphasize later on, you know, nothing happened in the showers. Nothing well, happened in the showers. Well, that's one of my, one of my, I wanted to talk about his dynamic with the woman too. She's a pervert. She's a full blown pervert. Well, she's I, like, think, oh, she's, I think she's, I think she's sexually frustrated. Um, oh, fair enough. Well, frustrated. that would make her a pervert, wouldn't it? Um, and well, I mean, <clears throat> Pervert's a strong word. I mean, I don't think it makes her. Per- it makes her. She's I'm using it she's, loosely. She's not promiscuous, strongly. and she's yeah. you know she's sitting there. She's sexually for interested. She's sexually yeah. interested. She's thirsty. Sure. She's thirsty. Um, now I. She's thirsty. I respected her character a lot more the second time I watched this. Um, the first time I'm you know, she it's it's tough to it's tough to respect her professionally. I mean, she's a terrible psychi- a psychiatrist. She's you know she's getting bullied into giving drugs. She's. You know, she's not seeing, she's, she's, you know, she's dating former clients. She's dating coworkers in the building when she's seeing their. She's like, just it, like she, she has loose morals, she, just like everyone yes, in the movie. Yes. Everyone so, in the movie has their, the things they think are right. And then things they think they have free will to do whatever they want. Even, even Jack Nicholson. He's like, well, especially can't, Jack Nicholson. He can't molest boys, but he's covered in blood constantly holding a hand, stealing a ring off it. Like, right. He's, you know, he's, he's violence does, is not immoral. But, you know, molesting kids is immoral, you know. Uh, yeah, and then he's got his, you know, he's, he's having his sex drug parties and, yeah. and, and, you know, shooting people in the back of the head. And he's a crime lord. I mean, he's a, there's no, one's, no one's apologizing for his character. Even Mr. Um, French says, I think you should talk to someone. At the, the opening scene of the movie, yeah. or one of the opening scenes, they shoot the two people on the bench. He's like, she felt funny. <laughs> she felt funny. <laughs> She's I like, think, I think you I should think talk you should to someone. Like, somebody, and Mr. Right. French is a mass murderer. He's a muscle. Yeah, he's a mass murderer. And he's like, I think you should talk to someone. But yeah, the, I, I think that I her second time around, I really kind of appreciate her character more. Matt Damon is just he is a you know he's a it's a piece he's of a, shit. Well, he is a tough guy to to 
get in the corner. I mean, she's setting up the apartment and she's got a picture of her as, as a kid. On a tricycle. You know, and she's going to put up the wall. He's like, Phew, what are you putting up with it? Takes yeah. it out of her hands. No, no, just nope. put that in your room. Put that in your room. You know, that's not going in the, the main guy room. The guy respects your history and your past and all, but not in the living room. Not in the we living might room. have company. And she's like, who's going to come over? They're like, uh, dumbass. But his uh, insecurities with her Harvard degree, he doesn't me. want her Harvard degree in the, in the living room. Right. Doesn't want her Harvard in the living room. Doesn't want the picture of the kid. That goes in your, your space, your room. He's super so insecure. Where, and, and, and she's on, in, turn, in turn insecure too because she's living under his thumb. And so she takes, the, she takes the photo back home with her and hangs it back in her old apartment that she's got for three weeks because she doesn't know what to do with it. Um, oh, then, I missed that part. Yeah, I've and then Leo... I've seen 20 times. I haven't fucking caught that scene. Well, because Leo, when Leo comes in, you're so uncomfortable in that scene. That's why you... <laughs> like, oh, it's that yeah. scene. Yeah, well, yeah I can't look at Dude, that scene's so weird. Uh, it's, you know, it is an important scene and it, for a lot of reasons with it. But one of them, Leo takes the picture off the wall, you know, and kind of says it's a great picture. And then he raises it up a peg. Um, you know, just kind of, again, the, the, the light and the dark of the two characters or the yin and the yang, there's darkness to, to Leo too. Um, but do you want to touch on the baby? Um, yeah. A lot of evidence says it's Billy Costigan's I, baby. I think it is too. I think this is another thing I think they do without voiceovers. Yeah. Very well. And they do, the, they, they do that one super subtly. And they super do the subtly. Priest, the priest thing is another one that's, because if he, this there's was good enough, fellas, there's enough room. There's enough room for Scorsese to come out and say that Matt Damon was not molested. He could say that because it's not, it's not, there's no direct evidence in there that states it. It's definitely inferred. Right. Same with the baby. Well, it's, it's, it's assumed, it, it, right? it, you know, just kind of like, you know, I don't know if you're a taxi driver guy, have you seen taxi driver? I haven't. There's, there's theories about, you know, whether it, it's similar to like, you know, to the Joker kind of plays off of, um, plays off a of taxi driver, but there's theories as to whether he's really alive in the movie or is he dead at the end of the movie or what, you know, what, and, and they, and, you know, De Niro says, no, he, he lives, he lives, but then, right. but, you know, Duran's not directly, so that, so you could go either way with it. So if you're, so what do you say with the Goodfellas and the, if this were the Goodfellas? If this were Goodfellas, at the beginning of the movie, when they show Matt Damon being an altar boy, they'd be like, Matt Damon was an altar boy, you know, the priest liked priests, to have his way with them. Priests and then it Boston. cuts to Frank Costello. It's like Frank's grooming him to be a cop when he's older. It's right. like, all right, I can watch the movie. You don't need to tell me everything. Right. Yeah. You know, oh, they're having sex like Pink Floyd's playing. He's like, this is Leo's baby. Like yeah, they, right, they, right. they can or, do that. It's, that's what, that would be good, fellas. But he did a better job of not saying what he wanted to tell you yeah. in this movie and, and that, infinitely you know, the walkaway scene oh. in the end i can't the watch a movie with ray liotta talking to me the whole time it's like he's well, it's like, plenty of commercials is, of it now you can watch it's him. true <laughs> this is literally what it's like ray liotta invites you to watch the movie he's in and he sits next to you in the theater and he's like go watch this scene ready me and karen are real paranoid there's a helicopter chasing us look we dumped the drugs it's like okay i'm trying to watch the movie right <laughs> just let me watch the movie that's what the movie really is, though. He's no, just I guess telling you what you're watching. To hear that he was supposed to be the first choice to play Dignam, Wahlberg's character. Oh. Talk about there being a different movie there. Now, listen, um, I don't think Ray Liotta's a bad actor. That's a different statement. I, I don't do, think. But go, I don't think. <laughs> he's, I think he's limited, but I don't yep. think he's a bad actor. Um, I, I, I just can't listen to him talk to me through a whole three-hour yeah. movie. Like yeah. it's gonna. It's, I can't do it. I, yeah. I, so Wahlberg was a third choice. The second one was um, who I thought would have done an awesome job with this is Dennis Leary, but mm -hmm. he was in the heat of Rescue Me. 
And Dennis Leary, I mean, that, that role is perfect for Dennis Leary. The de- you know, I will say Wahlberg did a great he job. He did. He did. I, I think the Wahlberg being a dick and Leary being a dick are two different things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't think Dennis Leary would have been nominated for an Oscar. I'll put it that way. Uh, but I, I would, have, would have appreciated him in that role. But going back to we, we, we jump past the baby scene a little bit. So she's, she walks away from him in the funeral. No after interest. The funeral the end. She, oh, oh. And he does the, what about the baby? Doesn't make eye contact, head down. Obviously, at this point, she knows about him being a rat. She knows about him being probably having something to do with Leo's So since death. she listened to that recording, the only thing she, of, of him talking to Jack Nicholson in the theater, the only thing she says to him is, I thought I was the liar. I thought I she was the liar. She shuts the door. He can't get through to her. And then he doesn't see her again. And then she's at the funeral and he's looking at her like, why the fuck is she at this funeral? Yeah. How does she know William Costigan Jr.? And then she ignores him completely. She hasn't spoken to him since yeah. she said, and I thought I was the liar. Oh, yeah. She's six, lying six because it's, style. she's lying because it's his baby. Yeah. It's William Costigan Jr.'s baby. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's... And that's yeah, a borderline right happy ending. It... Yeah, borderline. It's a version of an ending that's as not this unhappy. movie can get to yeah, a happy yes, ending. Yeah. My first viewing of this, I, I viewed her as a very weak character. My second viewing, after and, and second viewing, I've seen it, clips of it a million times over the past ten years. As it's always on TV, it's one of those movies that you, you flick around and you'll find it. And it's that's um, a back to the rewatchability point. Is I can catch it at any point. I'll watch the rest yeah, of it. Yeah. Um, but she, I realize, I mean, I, I have the opinion that she's a super strong character and there's moments where she's written weak intentionally and the actress does a, to me, does a really good job of kind of dancing between the two to ultimately end up in a spot. I mean, literally she's really the only woman in this movie. I mean, you have, um, you have Nicholson. Darlene. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Darlene. And then the, it's and like, then the, okay, overcompensating right. Matt Damon. Right. Hey, Darlene. Yeah. And I mean, that's, you know, you have Nicholson's duo yeah. that he goes to the theater with. And right. The, you know, the blonde is kind of hanging out. There's with always him. a red tint on them. The red, if yeah. you want to talk about thematic elements, the X's and the red yeah. tints. Yeah. yeah. The X's are the, are the anyone who's doomed, the death scene. Anyone who's doomed has an X in the scene somewhere. And then the red, whenever it's red on Jack Nicholson, they're really just showing him as the fucking devil. Yeah. Like he's the devil. Yeah. And he's in control of everything. And he he's in control he's of the police. He's in control he's of invincible. crime. He's in control. Yeah, and the X's is a take a, from uh, the, the original Scarface from 19, yeah. the 1930s. Yeah. It's one of, one of Scorsese's favorite movies. Uh, I don't like that. I don't like Scarface. This is the original Scarface, though. The one in the, from the 30s. Oh. The, yeah, yeah. Not the, not the Pacino one. The Pacino one I don't like. I know I'm in the minority. That and Goodfellas. That's a hot take. Uh, that, and, that and Goodfellas are the two I'm in the minority, but... Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I like Scarface for what it is. You know, it's not going to be my first choice to throw on on a Sunday afternoon. But, you know, I, I, I like, I think it's a good performance. I think it's a real good, I mean, it's a, it's a legendary great acting. performance. Okay, yeah, I'll give them great acting, but um, I think the movie's weird. I like that 80s cheese, though, that kind of Miami, um, you know, that Miami kind of. I will say I haven't watched it in about 10 years. Yeah, I mean, I'm probably in the same boat. It's probably but about you know one of the years. one of the things I took issue with is just that it's so. I don't know. It feels disjointed to me. Like it jumps from scene to scene. Like I don't know. This it feels disjointed to me. Um, I've I've watched it multiple times. And the pro- one of the problems is probably in college. You know, hanging out with my roommates. 
doing recreational things, watching this movie, and they're super it's, into it's it, a, telling me how great it is. Movie. It's yeah, a, you I don't like watch this. I don't like you those. gotta watch this. And it's just kind of like, well, I, you know, I'll watch it when I want to watch it. But um, I also saw that in college, too. So, you know, uh, probably in the same environment. Right. Um, but it, it, getting back to, to Scorsese, I mean, he, I don't think that he thought that this movie was going to be what it was. I mean, he, he had just done The Aviator. He was all Hollywooded out with the big epics. He wanted to kind of go back to the streets. And uh, he read the script, and it reminded him of another old, old, old movie, James Cagney movie, White Heat, from his that he loved growing up. And, you know, they, he just put this together. And it was supposed to be a low-budget thing. And then, you know... Everyone you know, was interested. Nicholson and Damon and the well, Brad, Brad Pitt's an unknown producer of this. Yep, yep. Uh, he was actually... Um, he was going to play, I believe, Leo's the Damon role. Oh, the, the Damon, Damon role. Yeah. And uh, there was another movie he was working on at the time, but he put his money into the movie anyway because he thought so, it would succeed. Yeah, the, and the movie, well, the movie he was working on at the time was Babel, which was also nominated for Best Picture in the same year. So he's, Which I've never seen. I haven't I, didn't, I honestly don't even remember it being in theaters. I don't know why I'm thinking that Jennifer Addison's in that, so I'm, that's got to be wrong. I don't think that's right. Um, but no, Babel's a, a good movie. There is, <laughs> <laughs> it's Kate Blanchett, by the way, not, not Jeff. Oh, Samsonite, Sam way off. off. Uh, he was probably just married to Addison at the time. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. I look at this in the Scorsese canon, and people are very hung up on the fact that this isn't his best, and he should have been honored before this. That's um, a fair point, and I, I, you know, but it's it's tough to do that because. It also depends on what he's going up against every year. And and there were misses. I mean, there's misses. I mean, we're, we're in the first episode of this uh, hopefully long-running podcast, and we're going to be talking about movies that are not anywhere as good as The Departed, um, that maybe in 1945 were impressive. And maybe they had some sort of relevance to what was going on at that time that have not aged well, where some of the movies they went up against have. And, you know, kind of one of the purposes of talking about these movies is not to sit and complain about why Wizard of Oz should have won or Citizen Kane should have won. It's more or less to just talk about how green is my valley and realize this did win. This, this, someone decided this was the best picture that year. Right. And, um, you and know, it why? advanced is motion it, picture. Yeah. Is it, yeah. Is it, can it be watched today? Is it something today that we're going to, that we're going to care about? I want to talk about the cell phone use in this movie. It was very early on. You know, good, old, in, good old flip phones. I was in my fourth, not my final year of college in 2006 when The Departed came out. I had a Nokia. I was able to text without looking on a Nokia while driving effortlessly because you just push, you know, J three times to get to L. <laughs> you push M three times to get to O. And they utilized that in this movie. Matt Damon is leading a sting operation to take down Jack Costello, Frank Costello, and at the same time he is texting in his pocket without looking with dumbass Martin Sheen sitting there paying no attention to anything. No phones. Let um, me just call my father. 
Yeah. Oh, I was going to call my dad and tell him I'm not going to be home for supper. Yeah, but he's gonna, <laughs> supper. Right. It's, good. it's very concerning for yeah. all these people if they're going to make it to supper or not. Yeah, I'm not um, going to get to supper. Tell your no, mom. No, my friends are still coming. My friends are still yeah. coming to supper. I'm not coming to supper. Oh, okay. I'm Martin Sheen. I'm Martin Sheen. Were yeah, you oh. raised by your grandmother? Didn't we establish that already? Yeah, like, um, come on. But uh, You so knew the, so exactly. The, the flip phones and the, the, the blind texting. I, I recently heard someone critiquing this movie and they just said, this is just absurd. What, what kind of bizarre skill is that to oh, sit give me a break. with your phone in your pocket? What is this guy just sitting there? And like, I'm sitting there listening. I'm like, you know what? I'm pretty sure I knew at least two or three people who could do that. Oh, I could do it effortlessly. And obviously, when I... you've never seen an episode of Burn Notice because that's obviously one of the main skills you have to have on that show. When I first got an iPhone, I was driving on the Long Island Expressway, leaving the Roosevelt Field Mall five minutes after getting an iPhone. And I heard, because I'm driving on the, the stuff that wakes you up when you drive out of your lane because you're in the shoulder. Because I'm like, God, I can't, I can't text well, on an yeah, iPhone. This... With a Nokia, I don't even have to look. I looked down at my iPhone, and it's like, I forget Doc 666. I'm like, what the hell is this? Matt auto, Damon auto certainly would have to fix his, his, his strategies here with the iPhone. Oh, you're not, he'd be, he'd be I can't lock. text on the iPhone while looking and at God it. God forbid there's an Amber Alert while he's in there. His phone will be like, <laughs> eh, 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 like everyone's phone's going off. I mean, there is some volume phone issues in this movie. Too. Like, but, Everyone has no the one same has their ring. phone on silent. Everyone like, has like, the same ring. You'd think that these like double agents would have their phone on either, right. at least vibrate. You know? like, meanwhile, what? they all have the same ringtone. Right. Well, there was definitely at least several time periods where everyone had the same phone. I bet everyone you Nokia had the same chunk, chunk, I remember having a bunch of money towards the budget for the actors. I remember having to, to yeah. confront roommates about changing their ringtone because it was the same as mine. And every time it went off, I thought I was getting a text or I was getting... These phones came out. Everyone got the same one. You and confronted it all roommates about that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, dude, everyone had the same dude, ringtone the phone, in the, college. Well, the phone has... Several choices, like ten choices or so. Yeah, but so. if you don't go into settings and change your choice, you just go by the default one. Everyone who buys a Nokia has the same fucking ring. Yeah, but that's what college I, was. I, yeah, I mean the the you know the you problem is it. is that I had selected a different one, and then my roommate selected the same one. Oh god! You know, so it's just like you you you. It's like, man, you know, maybe just pick a different one. You know, we don't need to both and, and, have. And why wouldn't he share your sentiment? Why does it? Why does he want the same ringtone as you? Oh. You know, why wouldn't he want to have a different ringtone? Well, yeah, but I think it didn't matter. He was like, he just he got the new phone and he picked the one he liked. It happened to be the same one I had. Like, you know what? He didn't pick it because I had it. He just, no, I know. He's like, oh, he's you... like, well, I like this one. I'm like, yeah, but we're in the same room and it's going off and it's confusing as to whether my phone's ringing or your phone's ringing. He's like, well, I like this one. Yeah, well, you know, just so another thing altogether. Um, yeah, so the, I, I can forgive them for having similar ringtones because it's, that does happen when the, with the limited technology. Yeah, and know, if Nokia like, is paying you for the movie, you know, $5 million to use all Nokias and everyone has the same or whatever the hell it is, then yeah, you know what? You're actually doing pretty good brand recognition in 2004. No one knew in 2006 the, iPhones, uh, I, that Nokias would be extinct, but the, um, the phones pictures. wonderfully date this movie in such a great way. Yes, agreed. Um, you know, the, the, the future will never know the struggles that we faced with the razors and the flip, the flip I'll phones. Be, you know, I've never seen a movie really utilize just basic cell phone stuff in a normal way, the way this movie has. Like, 
that at that time, yeah, we were texting without looking at our phone because we had Nokia's. No. They're doing that in this movie, no. and it's effective. You know, that's 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 really great. It's great that he was able to incorporate that into a mobster movie. Cell phone technology and Jack Nicholson. Uh, and, and going to the phones no too. Phones. Is, and this is kind of like a, this is kind of something you take for granted in movies like this. The the phone acting on this movie is unbelievable. Is phenomenal. You would swear they're having real conversations. Le- oh my god! You don't even. Leo's think the best. For a, He's the best. Leo storming around the oh. airport while while Digdom sitting there with his cheese doodles and the. Dad, dad, He's, wait, not wait, wait. He's not here. He's not He's here. He's not here. Like I said, you know, he's not here. But and he's the, just pacing around the airport looking like a like a maniac and you know, terrorist. That's, that's back to my point about Dignam being a good guy. At that point, he felt Leo was an equal. Because mm-hmm. Leo punched him in the face earlier. And now he's like, you know, not raising his voice to him. Not calling him a dickhead. He's like, yeah, yeah he's not here. You know, I told you he's not here. That's my information. He's not here. Just being very calm. Same way he was with Alec Baldwin when he was insulting his mother. Very calm. Not yeah. raising his voice. Not talking derogatory. But with subordinates, he was like... You know, fuck you. Yeah, you're selling me on the the Wahlberg character. I think he's a good guy. Um, and I, and I, at I the end of the come, movie, I he wanted re- to come into this and be convinced a little bit. At the him. end so of the movie, he completely me. redeems himself. Mark Matt Damon gets away with all this shit. Mark Wahlberg resigned. He's not even a cop. He resigned. Wal- uh, Matt Damon said that to Jack Nicholson because Dick. Yeah, he said my papers. My papers are in. And well, D- old Nicholson's like, give Dignam a whiff of my ass, he'll crawl right up. And Damon's like, Dignam resigned. Yeah. I wonder if Dignam really resigned or because of that became undercover. You know what I mean? Um, kind of stayed I, in the take, place. Was that he really resigned? My right? take is that he resigned. He gets the package from, uh, uh, from Leo. Vera Farmiga. Yeah. Yeah, that Leo gives it, to, right. gives it to Vera Farmiga. She sends it to Dignam when and he kills, Leo dies. And he kills. He, he sends... The information where it needs to go. Yeah, and then kills him. And then, yeah, and then just kills him. Just I agree with he just, you. And you know he what? just says this guy does not getting away with Best this. cop of the movie, Mark Wahlberg. Now, that let's talk about the ending scene. I mean, that... That elevator <sighs> scene is epic. I mean, that's as wonderfully chaotic of a, of a concluding scene as you can get. And, and again, to the rewatchability, the more you watch it, the more that scene is, is less shocking. Like, Matt yeah. Damon is literally like, kill me. Yeah. And, and he's and like, I you know, am killing about, you. And then he gets killed. Yeah. And we talked about, like, like the, Matt Damon's need for control at all times, whether it's in his relationship at home, whether it's in um, controlling the inner politics of the office. He tries to tell Frank Costello what to do. He's it, like, it, you gotta trust me. Let me yeah. do this my and, and way. And when he, he ultimately kills Costello, when things spiral out of control, when he realizes that... He's got the in, in with the FBI, right. and he was in control the entire time. Right. Damon was the puppet. Right. Um, and Damon never looked at himself as Costello's puppet. Damon looked at it as, I, I was raised by this guy within the crime world, around the crime world, and eventually above the crime world. And now he's in the crime world, and I have climbed above the crime world, and now I've climbed above the police too. Right. I'm on the top of the uh, – on the top of the – the state building, looking down on the city, and there's no one above me. And then when when Costello, the info comes out that he's with the FBI, head spin. So Matt Damon does what Leo kind of says someone would want to do in that scene in the bar where he's like, yeah, I'm looking for a rat. And he does that weird face shit. Yeah. 
he's like kind of like he's like who would want to do your job better than you Matt Damon once he finds out that Costello was an FBI informant he wants to be the guy that is producing the environment like Jack Nicholson literally goes grow up of course I'm talking to the FBI Matt Damon is so insecure he's like well I want to be talking to the FBI I'm gonna kill you I'm going to move up in the ranks and I'm go- I'm going to now control the he's he's the one who wants to do Frank Costello's job. He wants to control the crime and the police. Yeah. yeah he, he wants he, to do he, both. Yeah, he wants to he wants to play God in the whole He wants the to whole do scene of Boston. he wants Frank Costello's job, which is exactly what Leo says to look for. Who and, and in the end Leo's kind of right. Matt Damon ends up being a rat against Frank Costello. He does. Yeah. He's, a, he's a rat for Frank Costello, but in the end, he literally says, this is where they're going to be. He rats out Frank Costello to the yeah. police. He yes. goes, this yeah. is where he's, we got to go. He throws him in because he, he wants to out. He wants to win on him. He wants to, you know, he wants to control him. And then now we're going to the, to the building scene with the elevator. You know, he's taking him down. And now he's lost. He's cuffed. He he's knows helpless. they have the recording. Helpless. He's completely helpless. Out of control. He has 100%. lost control completely. And what's his response to that? Kill me. Kill me. Right. Kill me. Kill me. And and as the and as he's going into the elevator, as the elevator's going down, he's you can't get away with this. There's nothing. Right. He's tough. He's yeah, and he's whining and he's he's going through everything. Then he realizes the severity of the situation. And he goes, just kill me. And he goes, I am Leo goes, I am killing you. And then now, boom, Leo's gone. Leo gets hit, gets gets shot Which, in the head. Let's talk about this as a as a as a, a a scene in cinematography history. Yeah, they are literally just killing a main character out of nowhere, shooter off scene. You know, bad guy right here, good guy dead, yeah. bad guy free. You know. He was going to rat us out to the FBI. Now it's, it's just well, me it's, and you. And, true, and Matt hold on, Damon. Hold on, knows. We, got, we got the Anderson character, too, comes in. So you have, so you have boom. After. Leo goes, Leo goes, boom. Okay. Oh, Anderson. Then, the, then the, the mobster guy who's he goes. You think you're, I'm the? You think you're the only one? Costello had on the inside, and he lets him out. He goes. Costello was going to rat us out to the FBI. Now it's just me and you. We're we're together. Yeah. And and then kills, then the Anderson, Anderson walks down, ki- and then he kills Anderson. Yes, he kills it. Damon kills only Barrigan, though. Yes, right. Yeah, Barrigan so, kills Anderson when he walks down. Yeah, because so, right after he says it's only you and I. All right. So now, so it's like we're talking about the same topic. Boom! Leo dies out of nowhere, and now you have this insulary character who comes in who did it, and and you're sitting there, what's what's going on here? Then Anderson comes out. He Anderson comes. Out, what? What? What's going on? Then he gets it, and then now again. Damon's head is spinning because now here's another aspect of this whole thing that Costello kept him in the dark with. He thinks quick. And he loses control again in saying that, you know, wait a minute, you were in on this too? No, he didn't say that. In, in, his, in his head is oh, saying is is because he, he goes, he goes, what did you think you were the only one on the inside? Well, in his head, he's going, Costello didn't trust me. He had other people. And then boom, takes him out. And, and, and again, you have, here you have a guy who in, in the Barrigan who comes in and, He's like, now, you know, me and, and Damon have always been buddies. We were buddies back in the academy. We were buddies in the office. You know, it's just me and you now. It's just me and you now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fraternity, Boom. yeah. Yeah, Boom. He's gone too. And it shows you just, again, how Matt Damon just does not value anybody. He does not he value has been taught, any human he life. He has been taught 
that to be completely desensitized to violence. When it comes to violence and murder, he does not care. It is part of living a life. And then the flip totally side of the coin is with Leo, and there's a couple of times where Leo and Leo's having his panic attacks and taking his pills and and having a hard time dealing with the situation where he's just literally, you know, I could die at any minute. They could find out I'm the rat and they could kill me. And he's talking to, to Sheen and, and to Wahlberg and saying, I, I'm, you're sticking me in here with all these murders. And I'm witnessing murders. Right. And I'm witnessing. But he never kills. Uh, at no point well, in the movie Well, Leo picks he... up on the suspicion that there's something deeper with Costello. When they meet under the bridge and he punches Wahlberg and he sits at Martin Sheen, he's like, he's like, don't you think there's a reason like he never gets brought to trial? Yeah. Like something's not right. Like yeah, I've well, seen he, yeah. him murder people. Yeah, he and he's interviewing that one guy. He shoots his knee. You know, he shoots his knee when he, yeah. the guy mumbles something That's at the, the FBI. That's the guy who says he's an FBI informant. Yeah. He goes, why? So he could rat, him, rat me out to the FBI. Well, he yep. goes, you're paying someone. So he goes, why shouldn't I? So why would I pay Costello? So he could rat me out to the FBI. He goes, and what did Leo you say? He's like, I don't know. I was high. And he beats the shit yep. out of him, shoots him in the knee. Yeah, that's the great line of, I thought I was supposed to go in a shock. Uh, like, uh, I'm not um, in shock. And uh, so, you know, at that point now, Leo knows. He sees the whole picture. But he, Leo never gets used to murder. Leo never... He, he he's not. He has someone to cope who, with it by taking pills and right. drinking. And he's Matt not Damon someone is desensitized. He's not someone who could kill. No, Leo was a very vulnerable character throughout this whole movie. Where Damon is not on the exterior. If you um, really look at, so I know Matt. I know at some point Leonardo DiCaprio says, "I want my identity back." He goes, "We'll have you a cop in no time." He goes, "No, I don't want to be a cop. I want my being a cop is not an identity. Yeah. I want my identity back." Yeah. Meanwhile, the whole time, he is living his identity. He wants to be a cop, but he's he's doing criminal things. Like, he's getting... He's participating in both worlds at the he's same time. He's living in both time. neighborhoods like he did as a kid. And right, said, as you know, a kid, you exactly. Know, well, I bet you had two different accents, yeah. didn't you? You know, and, and that's that's his character. He's got one foot... He's And, at the same time, Damon is also living two different lives. He's living his exterior life. That everyone views him as as this up and coming young cop who's rising fast within the the office, and internally he is playing God with both the crime and the. And He's the doing law what Costello's doing, except from the authority point of view, and Costello is doing it from the crime point of view. And eventually, when he turns on Costello, realizes he has the edge in this in this department. Like, you know what? He wants to control crime and, and the police. I have the edge. I am the police. I know where Costello's going. Let's go here. I'm going to kill him. Blah, blah, blah. Everyone's dead. I am the hero now. I control the crime and the police. I think the conclusion of the movie is super strong when you go from the elevator scene to the funeral scene to the Wahlberg scene. It's an unfortunate ending with the rat there. I mean, I think that that's one that... I'm fine with it, though. You're okay with it. it. After all these years, you're okay with it. Because you know what? Because when you make a movie that that's 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 that acting driven, and that dialogue driven, and that scene driven, it's very human. To then at the end of the movie, literally have a rat in a rat's apartment walk in front of the state building and the credits roll, makes it a kind of kind of a film. It kind of adds a little bit of a, a a a cinematic. 
element I think it's, I think it's a little it. over it's a little the cheap. top. It's a little over the it's top. It's less cinematic. over the top than having a dialogue, uh, a uh, fucking voiceover to a whole movie. <laughs> if you want to have, if you want to have an over the top scene, well, have it be a five second scene before the credits roll. Don't have it be Ray Liotta sitting in a studio with earphones and a microphone telling me what I'm watching. Don't the, uh, do that. I need. We need to talk about Goodfellas. Good We're talking about The Departed. <laughs> we need to talk about Goodfellas. Because in my opinion, they should be compared. In my opinion, Martin Scorsese learned from Goodfellas. I don't... If you ask Martin Scorsese, I think he shares my opinion. Do you Do you honestly think he's going to sit and say that he, he thinks The Departed is a better movie than Goodfellas? Yes, I do. I mean, I think it's a better movie than Goodfellas. He made it 15, I, 16 I years later. I think that he's super proud of Goodfellas. I think Goodfellas has a, quite a legacy to it. That's all I was going for. Um, I mean, there's there's TV shows like it's Lost in, well, that have legacies. Soprano, but Sopranos um, is good. But I mean, you know, Goodfellas is isn't good. good. Too. Good and Lost was good. Well, I'm saying I'm saying that it Goodfellas he, influenced not, a tremendous amount of of work after it. Goodfellas is. It's like he figured out how to make a mob movie and went, you know what? Instead of making it two hours and 45 minutes long, I'm going to do a voiceover and I'm going to make it two hours and 20 minutes long. Do what? And then, you know, 20, well, he's, you know, 20 years streets. later, he learned. He's got you know Mean Streets what? as his first movie, which is a straight mob movie, and that's an hour and 50 minutes, you know. I haven't seen that. I mean, I can't speak on that. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really super solid movie. Is there a voiceover? Uh, I don't believe so in that one. No, uh, that one's uh, Harvey Keitel, De Niro, real real solid. It's his first movie, so it's you know it's very raw. You know how a director kind of constantly recasts the same actors. Yeah, you have to be such an amazing actor for for that to work. And and people not to watch every movie and go, oh yeah, it's it's Leo acting. Oh yeah, it's Leo acting. Oh yeah, yeah it's Leo. Right, acting. and Leo is one of the guys that can absolutely do that. He I remember can I, absolutely I, do that. I, I sat down and watched uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the new Tarantino. Oh, movie. I haven't seen it. Is it good? And I, I I really liked it a lot. I thoroughly liked it. I there's some people who don't. They were they thought it I've was heard really nothing long. but great things. Yeah, I from I, film buffs. I sat down and the first thing I thought into that movie was. I can't believe I'm sitting here watching Leo DiCaprio in 2019, and he's making me believe he's another character that right. I'm not. I'm not watching Leonardo right. DiCaprio, right. Uh, and Brad Pitt's great in it too. And that's and that goes back to what we just said about Leo. Just sells it so well. He's his so facial good. Expressions. He's his, so good. He he transforms. He does. He transforms he's, in all his. Roles. He he is. He's he might be the act. It, it maybe a dramatic film actor of our generation. Yeah, it's, I mean, to me, he's, you know, he's, he's definitely... If you want to just say actor, it's a different story because Tom Cruise enters into the conversation. But if dramatic film actor, yeah. I will say Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt. Um, yeah, I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah, Daniel Day-Lewis, but he's so far and few in between. Yeah. That's really it. Like, that, like have every two, three years, they come out with a movie that's up for best picture. Every two, three years, like they're just like clockwork. Yeah. I look at, at his career too, and Ooh. you see Leo's. I look at Leo's career too, and you look at Scorsese at these, all these movies he was nominated for, and then The Departed wins, and people say, oh, well, you know, The Departed, it's just a Lifetime Achievement Award, this and that. Which, again, I think, I think we're, you know, we're an hour it and a half may, into this. It and may to be. Me, I, it, it may be, but what's wrong with that? I mean, to me, it is, it, it, it still 
merits the achievement it had. I, 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 I watched this movie and I think it's what just were the, a, it's What were a, the movies it was up against? Uh, we're gonna can, get to that. We're up? gonna get to that at the end. That's one of our last things. Is we'll 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 review the other options that year because again we're not focused on Was who two... should have won, but we will we will address. No, it. but but I want to I yeah, want to will... I want to determine yeah, if it really I, is a I think... lifetime achievement award or it was the best picture of yeah, that year. And... And I think that what we're ultimately going to find is that it was the best picture, right. but the question is, was it a weak year? And it probably was. Um, oh, but, but you know what? It doesn't matter. We'll, and, you know, we'll get to I it. Could, but I, I, look at, I look at Leo's career, and I see, as people say that Departed is Scorsese's lifetime achievement, they'll say the same about Leo's. Leo was passed up for all these Oscars, and then he won for The Revenant. And people say, well, that wasn't even his best role. You know, I mean, I personally love The Revenant. I thought Revenant's unbelievable. And it is his best role. It and is a, a his best, best actor. role. Um, you know. No, it's his best role. It's it's hard. It's, it's certainly top three for me. You, I you, think this is one of his best roles, personally. I, oh, I agree with that. Yeah, I think This that is top three. I will take this and Revenant. This is probably number two. The Revenant is probably number one. Yeah. He's, that movie is just a masterpiece. Yeah, this I This is I totally two, agree. but at the same time, you know. More is called upon of him in the Revenant than I think in a this. lot's called upon of him in this. I mean, this. It's true. Think about you're how right. many guys no, were right. butchered this role. You're right. Oh, <laughs> I mean, imagine it's scary Will Smith. Imagine Will Smith uh, is leading on the Imagine oh. Colin Farrell is. I mean, just think about how bad it could be with a, a long list of people. Leo and Martin Scorsese are two interesting characters. It's almost like when you're when you're always great. People only compare what you are doing right now against what you have done, which is all great. Yeah, you're holding yourself to you're this high standard. You're always great. So you're like he's been considered. Tarantino for, would be another perfect example of someone who's you know it just every movie everyone's expecting it to be the, the next, and the, the next Academy thing. has come to grips with the fact that every movie he makes should be up for Best Picture yeah. because they really actually on merit should. They are of that year one of the best pictures. And it's have a shame you, like, he hasn't won. He hasn't won a best picture yet. Have um, you seen Django Unchained? I have. Yeah, I love Django. Unchained. In in my opinion, Django Unchained is his best movie, and I I have a hard time even. The more I see it, the more I go, "Ooh, I don't even know if this is debatable." Like you know, Pulp Fiction's great. It's great. It's great. Yeah, I mean, Pulp Fiction is... I mean, I, I, I personally think that Reservoir Dogs is his best, and I think that movie is just perfect in so many levels. I have another super unpopular take on this, too, and I think that Django's probably a safe... It's probably a somewhat safe one. I mean, you're not... Pulp Fiction is going to be your safest Tarantino. And I'm, I'm comfortable going on a rant about Tarantino yeah, now let's because, just talk about it. unfortunately... On. He doesn't have one on this list that we can talk about, so we'll take the time now and, and probably again in the future. But I, I, I look at Django. That's a safe pick. To me, I love Jackie Brown. Um, that's, not, that's not one of his highly I really movies. like Jackie Brown. I think it's a great movie. Um, to me, other the good, acting other ensemble Other good movies in that, came out that year. Uh, it's, Better movies came out that year. Yeah, that, and it wasn't I, I even, believe... Jackie Brown wasn't even nominated for Best Picture. To me, I, I just absolutely love Jackie Brown. I love the vibe. I love the I love the acting. It isn't nominated for... I think the only acting nominee it gets is Robert Forster, who just recently passed away um, for supporting actor. And he loses to... I think he loses to Robin Williams 
Patch or, Adams? Uh, no. Yeah, oh yeah, Patch Adams, that's right. An yeah. Oscar award winning performance. You were correct to say uh, no. <laughs> it, it's Goodwill Hunting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Patch Adams. Um, uh, so that's yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, Patch Adams, the, the hard hitting performance. Wait, he didn't uh, win for Patch Adams? Get he out of here. He did not. Unfortunately, well, let's get to to summon up the departed here. Um, I think just from getting the tone of this whole deal, I mean, I I definitely appreciated this movie. It seems like you definitely appreciated this movie. Again, I gotta repeat, I just had a blast rewatching this. I thought the acting absolutely popped. I thought the screenplay was killer. The dialogue, just from actor to actor, it's 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 just something you just. It's a it's a gem. So me, it's like, one of those movies, like you said, was set up for disaster because it has so many good actors. However, every good actor showed you why they're a good actor in this movie. Oh, they all Martin they Scorsese all had their fingerprints on it in a great way. Even Martin Sheen, who had a very simplistic role, mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese did a great job of getting the absolute maximum out of every actor in this movie. I'm sorry, I've seen the girl in other movies. She's okay. She's a, she's, a, she's a strong actress. She's a strong actress. Uh, she's, better she's, than, she's better than Cameron Diaz in Gangs of New York. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Cameron Diaz. And you're, you're really watching Daniel Day-Lewis now, let me try ask to you, talk well, to Well, let Cam- me ask you about Gangs of New York because I haven't seen it. It sucks. Well, Daniel Day-Lewis doesn't really have many weak roles. Is he not good in it? He's, He's the only good part of it's it. Just a, just, it's just his lone... Feel, I, I personally feel like I, I know I'm in the minority. But I also know what I'm talking about. Like, I watch a lot of movies. Cameron Diaz is... is she's not acting. You're watching Cameron Diaz act. But I, at the same time, I'll, I'll say also, what is Cameron Diaz... Her role is major in that okay, movie. Okay, you know what I'm saying is, what roles is she known for having that have impressed anybody? She's not a... She's not a... a, a right. A heralded and, Scor- and Scorsese cast that's her as the That's a bad casting lead. job. Yeah, that's a bad job. Like, and she's a main character. She has a lot of screen time. She has a lot of dialogue. You can't do that with someone who can't. Yeah. So that's that's, she's, that's a big. She and she's surrounded by Leo and Daniel Day Lewis. So you know what she two tri- of the best actors of all time. So you know what she tries to do? <laughs> she tries to overact. Yeah, and it comes true. off as garbage. And do I'm we have sorry, the story. The story of Gangs of New York is not good. And I really want to get into Goodfellas versus Departed. As a, as a, going back at the good, I want all to of talk our Goodfellas about, fans listen, are just shaking their fists. Listen, and I want to talk about Goodfellas right versus Departed. Okay, let's do. That's it. a fair. He made two mobster movies, very similar in nature, around the same. No, not time. around the same time. Fifteen years. Fifteen years apart. Okay. Fifteen. Yeah, Mean years Streets apart. is Mean Streets is, is twenty years before Goodfellas, and Goodfellas is nineteen. He filmed it in eighty nine or ninety. Yeah, okay. It's, Mean Streets is 72, I think. And, and, and Departed's 06. Okay, yeah. So there's major gaps, yeah. Generational gaps. If you want to make a best picture winner, and you have the choice of having someone talk over the whole movie to tell you what's going on, or you have the choice of directing the movie in such a way that people infer things that are not shown on screen. Which of those two you two ways do you think is going to win Best Picture? Goodfellas, I understand it came out in a time where people are like, I don't know, the early 90s. People are whacked. You can't just voice over a whole movie. If you go back after the movie is totally filmed, every shot is shot, and you go, listen... 
I think we need someone to go into a studio and talk over every scene. That means you have failed as a director. Um, at, well, let me finish. That means you have failed at telling a complex story. You, there is a scene where they are getting chased by a helicopter, and she jumps and she dumps drugs down the toilet. And Ray Liotta not only is narrating it in voiceover, in the scene, he's like, you dumped all the drugs down the... I'm like, I'm watching. I'm watching. You don't need to tell me what I'm watching. Um, and right, you so know what? An hour and a half into it, I can't tolerate being yeah. told what I'm watching. And I'm a film buff. Like, I can deal... I can deal with movies that have no dialogue for two hours. I can deal with 2001 A Space Odyssey, A Clockwork Orange. I can deal with these great, movies. Great classic movie. I can deal with these movies. If there was a voiceover in 2001 A Space Odyssey, well, it would be Spaceballs. Well, no, how about The Shining? We're, we're just going off on Kubrick movies here, but The Shining too. I mean, a lot of what makes The Shining great is it's still quiet moments. The, the, the silence is is literally deafening in movies. It's perfect. Yeah. And um, he does so me, that in The Departed. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. We're, we're to, okay. and I would agree, in my opinion, that that the voiceover is misused in Goodfellas. Absolutely. And that's we're not coming up with this in alone. There's plenty out there who would agree with us. All right, good. And it's, I mean, I don't know what it, what it is on a Rotten Tomatoes. But Goodfellas is probably in the 80s or 90s. Right, uh, we'll way get, over we'll 90. It's on. probably above Departed. I would bet it, you it's above Departed. Uh, I, Departed, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll sign that. Is, is, it's 92. Is, is, yeah, 92. Yeah, I know. So. It would be above that, I bet you. Um, And we'll get a, a solid number of that, but I just want to, I don't want to lose this thought, is... You are definitely, just in my years of, of talking movies with you and knowing, you are always in the side of anti-voiceover. And Goodfellas is usually one of your, your key points. And there's obviously a lot of much lower tier in quality movies and shows well below Goodfellas that are perfect examples of why it's horrible. Where is it good? I'll give what, you... Cause I will, so I will, and I'm... I'm gonna let you answer that, but I, I will come. I'm gonna actually. I'm gonna say two of my favorite movies employ employ voiceover. But what is what? Where? where when is I'll, it I'll give you a movie where voiceover is used perfectly. It's called The Big Short. It was okay. also up for Best Picture. It was Christian Bale. You know, I, I believe Jeremy Renner in it, in it is in it. He sucks at acting, but he's in it. <laughs> we'll be sure to have you on for the Hurt Locker. Episode. <laughs> I love the Hurt Locker. That's his best movie. That's his best movie. You know what he is, though? Nominated for Best Actor. You know what he is? He's Jeremy Renner in that movie. He's not acting. He's Jeremy Renner. Anyway, I don't know if Jeremy Renner served our country, but we'll have to. Goodfellas. Well, ninety six on the tomato meter, by the way. Ninety seven with the audience, so it is above Departed. All right. Uh, so, all right. So, but why is why is it effective in the Big Short? Voice in the movie The Big Short, there is advanced logarithmic, algorithmic mathematics going on. There's calculus going on. They're doing calculus. And in order to make the audience understand the movie, you need to have a voiceover montage. You need to. If you don't, the movie The Big Short falls flat. Everyone doesn't understand what's going on and they watch two hours worth of cinema and they don't know what's going on. You need to have someone explaining to you how bank loans work, how mortgages work, how, how bad loans work, how subsidiaries work. You need, you need to know how that works. 
If you don't know how that works, you can't watch the movie. They don't have time to teach a finance class for an hour and a half before the movie starts. If you're going to do that movie, that movie, which is a great movie with phenomenal acting, you need to have a basic understanding of finance. Shorting put, uh, put options. You need to know what put options are. If you don't know what a put option is on the real estate market, when he goes to the bank, you, you will not know how the movie works. You need a voiceover. If you don't have a voiceover, you need to have a three-hour and five-minute movie. Um, I, I, to me, that's a perfect example right there. I, mean, I, can't, I can't dispute that. Um, the opening of The Departed is a voiceover. It's not a narration of what you are watching. Part of the Goodfella, Goodfellas is instead of showing you, he tells you. He just has a narrator it, tell it, you. The show versus This tell. isn't complex. You don't need to know, this is Jimmy two time. He says everything two times. I'm going to go get the papers, get the papers. If you literally go, this is Jimmy two times, and he goes, I, I'm going to go get the papers, get the papers. You're going to know he says everything two times, and that's why you call him Jimmy two times. Hey, Jimmy two times, I'm going to go get the papers, get the papers. That's, that works just as well as going... This is Jimmy two times. He says everything twice. I mean, I think a lot of these movies, the show versus tell becomes the difference in, in their value. What do you mean? I think that a movie that, that leans on telling all the time. Right. As opposed to showing you and letting you figure out. And that's right. what I think The Departed does the show. It does, it does the, the show. Yeah, it, it does it, the it show. It tells you stuff without telling you. Yeah, um, like, and we I think don't, that we there don't... are times where telling is necessary, like you just said with the big short, and, and we're, we're, you can't assume that the audience can do Understand complex Understand put options and stay, and stay options. It doesn't work. Now, so two of, the, two of my favorite movies that employ voiceover, both by Morgan Freeman, who has got to be the, the, best voiceover, the best voiceover artist of He's all time. He's the best ever, uh, but you can't say Shawshank. It, it is Shawshank. It's not fair. Um, well... I mean, what do you mean it's not fair? It's an, uh, I'm going to give you an example of why I think it's effective in Shawshank. Oh, it's super effective yeah, okay. in Shawshank. Right, right. So, but it's not fair. Right, well, well, He's no, what's not, not narrating what's, not what's happening. Well, okay. Well, what's not That's fair my problem is with Goodfellas. What's not fair is, is, that, is that voiceover is always, always bad. It's always a bad choice. There are examples of being choices, and here's an example of why I think it's a good choice. Shawshank is it's, it's probably my favorite movie of all time. It's, it's a... It's a movie. It's a movie that is a story told by someone in prison, right? And it's an allegory, right? And every example of every detail that goes on in that movie is through the voice of someone who's remembering it, and not who's watching it. So the like voice you said, in that movie is super important. That's what makes it so great. Yeah, it's the voice of someone telling a past tale. Yeah, and 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 as they remember it as a prisoner that lived through it, and. You know, with Andy crawling through the the football fields of shit, of shit I can't imagine. You know, uh, he's and and the, the camera's showing him do it, but Red wasn't there. Morgan Freeman wasn't there to watch him. He's telling it to you as he surmised it through the warden, through the other people who heard about it. That's in line with my point. It's not narrating the movie, right? Narrating. Well, he, he is the narrator of the movie. I, He's not narrating what you're watching at that moment. Yeah. He's narrating the bigger yeah, picture. And, and, now, and so, in Goodfellas, he's literally narrating what you are looking at. So at the very beginning of that movie, the filming of that movie, they took his, his part, 
his, his vocal parts. Recorded them, got it done. And they actually played them while they were filming the movie to get the pacing down. So the, it, it, it was a story. So really, like, as opposed to you film the movie, then you have the voiceovers that go back and comment on what's going on. They could hear on. it over speakers the, the, as they acted. They, they acted towards what, the, what, what his vocals were. God, Morgan Freeman's the best, um, he's the yeah, best and, and And that's going to go into my second, which is probably not on most people's favorite movie list. And, and it is one on this list that we'll get to at some point. Uh, and that's Million Dollar Baby. And um, it's a great movie. And it, it is an awesome movie, a Clint Eastwood classic. The voiceover in that movie is effective to me, and we'll deep dive this when we get there. So wrapping this up, who is you? Who kind of who wins this movie for you? Who's the MVP of this movie? There's a, there's definitely a lot of choices. There's two guys we didn't talk about. Okay, okay. Mr. French and Fitzy. Okay, some some supporting characters there. I also so, want to talk about the rewatchability of the movie. Okay, we'll get to. Let's talk about the the character, the, the players here, with the the goons, Frenchie and uh, Fitzy and Fitzy, Fitzy yeah. and Frenchie. Yeah, Fitzy's super insecure, just like Matt Damon. Um, he writes citizens wrong on the envelope, and Leo corrects him, and he goes, "What are you fucking retarded? That's not fucking right. That's no way. That's right." And then he, he's supposed to dispose of Martin Sheen's body. Uh, no, not Martin Sheen. The, uh, the un- other yeah, the, undercover the guy. Yeah, the Boggs from Shawshank. So we come full circle. Shawshank. Right. So he, he's like, I, I buried him. I thought I buried him. You know, I'm fucking embarrassed. And he, he, he becomes a person. He goes, I'm fucking embarrassed. And, the, and then right after they throw Martin Sheen off the building, he's sitting in the bar and he goes, that was excessive what we did that, with that cop. He was tough. Like he's, when he's not angry, he's a human. When he's not angry, he's like, yeah, you know, that was excessive. When he's angry, he's like, we should throw this fucking guy off the roof. Like he's, yeah. a, he's a, a clearly impulse-driven guy. Like a standard criminal who has high impulse, low impulse control. And... He's highly violent. Yeah, and there's, a, I mean, this is a great, too, like, you know, it, it, Damon's yelling at Costello for um, murdering McQueen, uh, Martin Sheen. Yeah. And, you know, Costello's kind of like, ah, you know, ah, man, maybe that wasn't the best way to handle that, you know? Right. He's, he's of, an FBI but he's informant. In control. He doesn't care. He's always he's an in FBI control. informant. Yep. He's in, invincible. He doesn't but it care. Is, it's just funny how he reacts. It's kind of like, he's not like, I'll do whatever I want and I'll do it. He's like, yeah, you're right. You know, but we'll figure it out. It's, yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, I'm it's, fine. You're right. It's probably I'm not fine. the best. I'm you know, fine. I'm we'll, fine. We'll be all right. Who, who wins this? Who's your MVP of this movie here? It's a, it's, it's a lot of choices. It's tough to pick one. Um, Matt Damon. I, you're going Matt Damon. Is I it mean, Matt Damon's character, though, or is it Matt Damon's no. performance? Leo was always Leo. Yeah, I, I definitely, I think, you I know? think Matt Damon's character is he the most fascinating. He steals the movie, kind of. The most he's fascinating He's always character. taking There's, advantage of opportunities. He's always, and at the end, he dies. Like, I, I, I yeah. like that. I like that. I think it's Matt Damon. You know, yeah. my favorite character is Mark Wahlberg, but it's not, yeah. it doesn't matter what my favorite I character is. I mean, my is. favorite character is, is Costello. Personally, that's my favorite character. Um, I think that the MVP of the movie is Leo. 
for what he does with that character. But I think if you're going with character MVPs, I think I think I agree with Matt Damon. Matt Damon is real deal. His character is the most interesting to talk about. There's Agreed. most there to it. I most think complex. he's the, So if you go back and redo the Oscars, I think Matt Damon's the lead actor of the movie. I yeah, think Le- I think Leo's supporting. I think yeah, and I think well, Leo's the, supporting. Yeah. I think Jack Nicholson's supporting. Mr. French is supporting. Wow. Okay. I think Mark Wahlberg is supporting. They're all supporting. Matt yeah. Damon is the main character. The movie starts with Matt Damon as a child getting groomed yeah. into being a cop. Well, I guess I guess that they ultimately probably agreed with you with that. Yeah. Although he didn't get nominated. Um, where Leo was, it was told that he's he's, so this, he's up for supporting for this, and he declined because he wanted right. Wahlberg to get it or Which whoever. Which is, he's supporting. Jack, he, he thought Jack was getting it. He is supporting. Yeah, yeah. Um, Matt Damon I, I, is the guy. I view them as parallels in this movie, and both as leads. And there's been plenty of movies where there's double leads. I mean, oh, Godfather yeah. being one. 100%. Um, you know, so I, I view it as a double lead. Um, I think that the acting MVP is Leo. I think the character MVP, I can get behind the Damon. I can get behind the Damon with that. I think there's the most to talk about with him. That's the character MVP. If you want to say acting MVP, I say Jack Nick. You're going to go Jack just for being Jack. Character and... MVP, Matt Damon. Yeah. And, Matt and Damon is literally insecure, secure, yeah. chauvinistic, over the top, uh, in control of everything, all in one movie. Well, well He I... is. He's all of those things. He literally says to Frank, you're going to fucking rat me out. He kills him. And he kills his, his father figure, his boss. Like, that's a... Character development within yeah. the movie we are watching. Well, I, I just look Leo. At, I, well, I look at Leo. Too Jack Nicholson's the best yeah, but actor. Leo has to. Mr. Bounce, French rivals. Leo, Leo Jack. has to. Leo has to bounce between being completely in control, where my hand doesn't shake, to losing control and 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 chopping down on his pills, and and you know a non-drinker who's drinking and taking pills, and and balancing those two like a manic and. A, Endlessly in control to the point where you can lie to your bitter enemies. See, I personally and, think that's trying easy. to test you at every step. I think that's easier to do than what Matt Damon does. Matt Damon's really all over the place. He's a criminal who becomes a cadet, who becomes a detective. Does he always execute though? Does he always? Like, I, I have scenes that I look at where Matt Damon is the way he's acting. I just look at it and say, "There's no way a cop in this room wouldn't think that he's a rat." You know, I think that he kind of loses grip in some of those higher... I, I've, I've, I thought that the first few times I watched it. I think that, that he really does a great job of coming across as a sincere authority in the police yeah, figure. Yeah, he does. Yeah. So he's like, why didn't you tell me? Like, he's an authority figure. You would think he would want to know. You know? You should have told me so-and-so did this. He's an authority figure. Yeah, you would yeah, think he would yeah, want to so know. I, I just, I kind of view it. He's when, an authority it, figure. Tense of a setting when everyone's trying to figure out who the rat is. There's behavior that I think would be questioned. But yeah, he is like that rising star there. Right. That that the the authority, like Alec Baldwin, literally loved him. Yeah, he puts the star, he puts the gold star on him. Said you are a cop, my son. Yeah, you're in, you're in charge of you 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 got to figure out who the rat is. I'm Martin you Sheen in says you're you know the plays. You know the playbook. Call your shot. Yeah, yeah. Now who? Now who is? And this is a tougher question. Who's the LVP? Who's the LVP? And I think that now, now. Let me ask you this: Is it? But did did that your opinion get swayed at all in this discussion? Because I knew you were going to come in and say and say that. Yes. Um. It got swayed. And and just like my opinion about Wahlberg got swayed a bit too. 
Um, although I knew coming in that was going to probably be an unpopular one. But you're going to stick with her as your LVP. No, I have an easiest. I have an easiest, weakest. Okay. I wonder if we have the same one here. Um, who's your LVP? The 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 worst. Do you mean worst actor in the movie? You could go whichever way you want to do it. You know, you can go acting. You can go kind of how that how you put that character on screen. You know, if it's if it's just like we're not gonna pick like a character that was just written poorly. Like for instance, Jack Nicholson's love interest. Like that's a that's a nothing character. So it's not that's not winning an LVP award. Like who is who flopped here? Or who just was. Who, 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 Left a little bit to be desired on the impact. I have to go with the woman. You're gonna go with her, okay? Uh, yeah, you and, know and what? I and would it, say that it's 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 nothing, you know, gender biased. I just think she created a character. That character's tendency was to grab her lip. She grabbed her lip way too much. If you just show the shots of her being on screen, she is grabbing her lip in every fucking scene. That's too much. You need to regulate a, a mannerism like that in order to be a good well, actor. if someone suffers from a compulsion that has them do that, and that's obviously the decision she made, it's not unrealistic. That's I mean, fine. That's fair. Touch their that's fair. And, that's fair. Um, that's fine. That that's that. fine. Um, and I think that I think that one of the, the complexities of her character is, is that she's supposed to be this, this psychiatrist who's Helping cops really. She's a control tech. mechanism. Yeah, and she and in she an experiment struggles. you have a control. She's the control. Yeah, and and you know she is in a in a movie where it's really all dudes, um, and she's the the main female. Who focus. is your LVP? Um, this is a little bit of a cop out. Go ahead. The Barrigan character. I mean, well, they yeah. want the twist. They want to sell the twist, and you can only sell the twist with a nothing character. And that's what, but I, that's it's me not is, fair. It's not fair to make the Barrigan character a unfair character. He's he's necessary for the film. I just he doesn't he, need no, to okay, serve okay, more purpose not, than uh, he right, does. Okay, of course. The purpose he serves is fine. So here's my explanation. I would say the Anderson character is worse. Here's here's my explanation. Go ahead. Um, well, I don't think that the Anderson character needed to be anything more than he was because he was literally just a bystander. In That's the, in how the, I feel about. Yeah, well, he was not a bystander. He's a he's a main player. He kills the main he kills the main guy. This is my my point with them is I feel like they must have cast him thinking that this actor was going to be something more than he ended up. No, being. I don't agree with that. Um, I think they knew they were casting an <laughs> ancillary character who would matter. Who would matter? So if it, so, there's two things. Either you, th either you thought that this is kind of like a young, a young up, up and coming actor who's maybe going to be something at this, which is what I personally believe, or you just, you were just playing off the plot and you wanted to pick a nothing kind of face who would blend in and be a surprise at the end. And I don't like that way either because I don't think you make a movie for the twist. The twist can make the movie. But you don't make the movie for the twist. Well, I'm and not it, a channel on well, well, not in The Sixth Sense. The Sixth Sense plays after the twist. So does this, by the way. This movie plays after the twist, too, which is why I don't believe that they cast a, a nothing-faced actor to kind of swoop in and be the killer at the end. What do you know? mean, plays after the twist? You, you can, you can rewatch The Sixth Sense, and, and, and it holds up with you knowing what happens at the end. It's a great film. Oh, rewatchability, um, you're talking well, about. And it's a great film. The twist, the twist is what made The Sixth Sense famous. It's what made it popular. It was a popularized Emma Chamberlain to begin with. But the twist doesn't make that movie. The movie exists within itself, and the twist is part, part of, of that the movie, movie existing yeah. within itself, just like this movie. And I, I agree just think with that. that. 
I just think that the, that the that if I'm picking a least valuable player, I'm saying that that role was kind of like he sat in the weeds and then he came out with the big shot in the end and boom and then he gets shot. That could have been that could have been a little bit of a more influential character to me to really make this movie take the next step. In 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 my Ooh. mind, the, the Barrigan character. I think it could have. It could. There was. A, there was a slight. They kept him in the back. I think. Opportunity see, I there. think they kept him in the background on purpose, which hurts the value of the movie to me. No, I disagree with that. It works with the twist, right? And I think that you can still have that twist. You can still have the <gasps> moment, but do it with that character having slight more value. Whether see, it's casting no, it better, you know what he or, had. I think by getting shot in the head by Matt Damon. After shooting the Anthony whatever character, it does give him value. By dying, it gives him value. He saved Matt Damon. Well, well it's, it's clearly an important role, obviously. But I'm saying that's my that's my argument is that it's an important role that could. It have sounds been, like you're net picking. I think that what's stopping us from being in the upper echelon is just minor details. We talked about the plot. Here are my issues with the movie like summing it up what didn't work for me i thought that the plot is so concise that everything has to work a certain way that you can you can nitpick it i don't like nitpicking nitpicking movies here and there but there are definitely moments of plot saying give me why would he do this here why? give me examples well if, for a perfect example is like is they're they're in they're in a room i mean we talked about the one earlier before with the with the camera and how i'm not knowing that it was leo of course you would know it was leo but what will they're in the room they've changed something up Oh, I gotta make a phone call. You know, like what? What are you calling your dad for? And we're in the middle of a sting here, and then all of a sudden the sting goes down. I mean, like, like little kind of plot points like that. I think uh, you look at and you go. I think to have a greatest movie ever made or greatest of anything. I don't think this is the greatest movie ever made. Right, but even a top ten or yeah, top ten definitely. you kind of have to hit at all points, and everything has it, to kind of go smooth. There's no point of The Godfather where you go, "Why is he doing this?" He should because you don't. You're not thinking about yeah, that. Yeah, but you let's be. Get, it's, this isn't a fair conversation. Let's be clear: The Godfather one and two are the best. I I put The Godfather one and two together. They're among the yeah, and I, I say they are the best they're film among the ever best, made. They're the among the. I say among they're the number best. one. Okay, I so, say the right. two of them together so, is number it, one. But they're very much considered there is among the no best movies ever made. Voiceover. Yes. Um, now Ray Liotta <laughs> is not talking to me <laughs> while I'm watching Oranges Spill. So you're saying zero zero to zero to conclusion with this film? You know, opening to credit. There's really no issues you had with it, really at all. Everything worked for you. There's issues, but they're they're negligible. It's yeah, a true I think thing. This movie is charming for its flaws, for sure. Right, you know, right, yeah, like, right. Charming for its flaws is a great way to put it. Yeah, great way to put it. I mean, Nicholson to me makes the movie memorable, um, and he's not doing acting one on one. We have to talk, Mister French and Mister Fitz. Mister French. Is a sociopathic, psychotic, mass murderer who comes off as a lovable character. That is 
awesome directing. Yeah, for for us for a super sub supporting actor too. He's not super. Yeah, we're talking about a movie with all star lineup where he's just a, a forgotten thing. And, at the and, and you know what's a shame is he's a world class actor in Europe. He's yeah. like literally a, a theatrical actor. Well, he like kills a, it in this movie. Oh, he's sure. unbelievable. Yeah, he he's unbelievable. It. That's why him and Jack Nichols the butt heads. Yeah, They're both right. world class. Yeah. They're world class. Yeah. It's hard to say that, in my opinion, it's hard to say that Departed isn't the best mobster movie ever made because of the... Outside of The Godfathers. Outside of The Godfathers. That's not, that's not fair. Right. Calling The Godfathers we're, mobster we're, right. movies we're, 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 right. is not, not a mobster fair. Movie, right. It's not a mobster They're movie, the right. best movies ever made. Yeah. Godfather 1 and 2 are the best movies ever made. Right. So we're, we're Period. just clarifying again that we're Period. sliding that aside. I am now sliding into a genre. Okay. That's genreless. Mm-hmm. Goodfellas is literally a guy describing what you are watching on screen for two and a half hours, and that movie was up for Best Picture. This movie, The Departed, is him showing you what is happening on screen and off screen in a super clever way. It's it's not comparable, in my opinion. Yeah, I can get around that. And that, that leads us into, like, relevancy today, impact today, legacy today. I mean, I think you said If The Godfather came out today, it'd be, on, it'd, be, it'd be Best Picture oh, oh, nominee. Okay, we're just talking about The Departed. Um, what, That's what I mean. If, 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 the, if the Departed came. comes out today... It's a masterpiece. I mean, I gotta be honest. Like, people want to talk about this movie, you know, being a Lifetime Achievement Award or winning in a weak year. I don't believe I that. look at the last 10... Years of best pictures. We're all week. I think The Departed kicks all of their asses. All their I mean, asses. I, I think that. One hundred percent agree. I think that this movie comes out today. It's it's. It's winning best picture. Yeah. It's I mean, winning it best picture. And it, I mean, it may not. It it should. It right. Should. Right. Yeah, right. It should right be up there. Um. So that that's a great segue into and you know we we'll, we'll say this now we said at the beginning we'll say it again this is not a. Who should have won podcast? This is not a, oh, this one because of politics. This didn't win because of politics. But we would be remiss if we did not mention the other movies that were nominated that year. What are um, the other movies? Because I want to talk about them. Okay, so the other nominees in 2006 at the 2007 Oscars. The part obviously wins. We also have... Babel, which we referenced earlier, that's the Brad Pitt movie. We have Little Miss Sunshine. Have Great you movie. seen Little Miss Sunshine? Great movie. I'm going to preface this. I haven't seen any of these movies, so I'm not. I'm not. I'm not ripe for debate here. Little Miss Sunshine is hilarious. Good, good, solid comedy. I mean, this is kind of an era where comedies don't often really get. It was a dark comedy. No, the, uh, okay. the grandpa does heroin. Whole movie. Okay. Anything. And he wins. Uh, Alan Arkin. Yeah. Wins supporting actor. Oh really? Yeah. He's the he's the role. He knows he's dying, actor. so he does heroin. Okay. And yeah. And kind of. And I think it's Steve Carell in that. Steve Carell's in that movie too. I think he is. It's been a while. We have uh, the Queen, which uh, is Helen Mirren. She wins Best Actress for that. You know. Oh, she's Catherine the Great in the new show, Catherine the Great. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She plays the plays the royalty. Uh, but yeah, she's you know I, again. I, I mean these these British royalty movies. I don't spend a lot of time sitting down watching them. I'm sure she did a fantastic job. Yeah, probably. Uh, it's not my cup of tea. Um, you know, she wins best. Is that uh, ironic? No, not your cup of tea. I didn't do that on purpose. Please. <laughs> <laughs> I did not do that on purpose. Oh uh, boy, letters from Iwo Jima. 
Um, that movie's unbelievable. Clint Eastwood, yeah, I've seen that too. That's that's Eastwood and Spielberg, which is a Bro, the, the, power it's combo. About, it's about the bombs dropping on Hiroshima. Yeah, and now he did the um, the um, it's a little theatrical. Uh huh. Like Spielberg it, Eastwood, I mean, we would imagine that it would be. It would be. It's like watching a Broadway play in a yeah. movie form. Uh, and now that's like a uh, mirrored with flags of our fathers. They're they're like I haven't seen flags of our. So fathers. one is like I think one is the Japanese standpoint and one is the American standpoint of the same incident. I think they came out each year. Um, but uh, you know what I haven't, and I'm a huge Eastwood fan. I've seen really a good chunk of his movies. You know, he's one of my favorite directors. I have not seen that one, and that's probably one I gotta I gotta dive into. And that's it. Yeah, Letters of Jima, The Queen, Babel, Little Miss Sunshine, and The Party. This is back in the year with his five. Nominees. Um, I think it's safe to to say. Departed's yeah, the best movie. Departed's uh, one, and and I think we go back to the point that, you know, we take a little, for granted the movies that came out at that time. I mean, Departed comes out in the last five years with the same cast, by the way. You don't oh, even have to recast. You can bring, the, bring, bring back the same people. Put Nicholson out there, and he'll be even more bizarre. It would win and, Best Picture. Yeah, and and I think it will be just as good today. Agreed. I think that you could you could. It's got tremendous. Rewatchability. Yeah, well, now could I? Could a, a college kid today who's knows nothing about it, who's never seen it, Sit down in his dorm room, turn the TV from stage one where Nicholson's doing his opening monologue, get sucked in and yep. have it through it. You think you could hit him? Yeah. Happened to me multiple times. I'm, I'm living evidence of that. Yeah. Me and Andre. Right, but it, it, there is our, you know, it is relevant to us though because it kind of came out while we were in college. So I'm saying a college kid today in 2019, could he sit down, yeah. pops on Nicholson's doing his yeah. opening monologue, he's going to appreciate that movie. It works yep. today. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, It'd be hard to say no. And, you know, I mean, again, I, I, you know, we talked about it a little bit, but I got to, uh, I got to bring it up again. That soundtrack is killer, man. And Scorsese does that so well in all of his movies. Um, even, you know, even the ones that may not be your favorites, the, the soundtrack's always, Scor- always uh, lands Quentin's in. like that. Uh, Quentin is also like that. Another, another. Quentin Tarantino has a quote. He said, I won't add music to a scene unless it adds something to the scene. That's awesome, and, 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 and you can you know totally what? tell. You can tell when you yeah. watch a scene that um, Django's the best example. There is a scene where he's being transported as a prisoner, and there's rap music blasting. We are talking about the 1700s, yeah, and there's rap music <laughs> blasting, and I'm like, this is fucking perfect. Yeah, that's it's a perfect. That's a cool it's choice. Perfect. Um, yeah, and it's just, you know, the, the music to me totally pops. It makes Dropkick Murphy's, puts them on the map as a mainstream band. I mean, that that, song, that, that movie made that song relevant. 100%. Um, it made it a hit. I would never uh, listen to that song without that movie. Yeah, and, it, and now it's every St. Patrick's Day you're hearing. That's, that's the first song you hear. I, I, you know, the other one I go, and there's a, a scene in the final season of Sopranos where it's a famous, and we'll, we'll avoid the Soprano spoilers, but... There's a famous car scene between Tony and Christopher yep. that leads into a car accident yep. where he's playing the Departed soundtrack. And he goes, oh, have you heard the Departed soundtrack? Oh, it's great. He puts it in. And that Pink Floyd version comes on. Wow, really? And you, when you compare the lyrics to the song to Christopher's tale, um, 
It's chilling. So wow, go back, go back and check I that episode out. I believe it's the third to last. It's either the second last or third to last. That I need to check out. Um, and I do believe that they. Do you came remember the out, scene? Oh, go ahead. I think they came out around the same time. I think maybe the final season of Sopranos is like the following spring yeah, or so. Or, yeah, they're, 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 they kind of mirror each other, which is great because you, um, they just it, the Sopranos has cast so many members of um, Scorsese movies. Do you uh, do you remember the scene where they're in the snow? Oh yeah. That's my favorite. No, oh, the, there's two. The one with with Tony and um yeah. and Johnny Sachs. Yep. With the with the FBI coming and into Tony the Tony oh, just God. starts running. So that's good. my favorite scene in the whole. Series. I thought you were pine barrensing me with uh with Paulie and Christopher the pine barons. That's my favorite scene in the whole show. Yeah. Tony is standing there talking to Johnny Sachs and he goes, and he runs, <laughs> and I'm like, he's fucking and running. What is he running from? And Tony and Johnny Sachs just standing there, and then you see black. Figures moving in the uh, horizon. I'm like, oh my god, it's the FBI. And he stumbles into his backyard, and that was right after they'd seen the bear. I, I gotta give you my Sopranos hot take: is my favorite character in the show is Johnny Sex. I love god, part of me agree with his you. angst. I love his just he's like defines the role of a boss, and and the guy who climbs ladder to try to get to the spot to be the boss, and he's there. And he's, you know, and, and, and he's taking, you know, it just, to me, I just love the character. Every time he's on the screen, I just have a big smile on my Agreed face. I just, I just 100%. love the actor. Johnny love, Sachs is a yeah. fucking yeah. great character. Great, great, great character. character. Steal scenes. He's a scene stealer. He's a scene, a scene stealer. And a it's scene one of those, stealer. it's one of those, I think when they made it, they didn't expect him to necessarily right, right. be. And but then just, they're like, boom. God, this fucking yeah, guy. Yeah, Every scene yeah. we put him in, he steals uh, Uncle it. June's another favorite of mine, too. Oh, I love okay. Uncle June, too. Okay, <laughs> he's limited. <laughs> he's limited. <laughs> what? Huh? Uh, Paulie and Sal are my, fa- uh, my two of my favorites. Because they act like nothing's happening ever. Yep. And behind the scenes, they're involved in everything. Yeah. This has been a great. Uh, this has been a great run here with this first episode, this pilot episode. I want to throw out two references that are in right. the movie of other, um, other best picture winners that we'll talk about at some point. One of them you kind of you briefly um, referenced when Martin Sheen hands the book, the binder to Damon to and Matt says, Damon. "You know all the players." He goes, "The readiness is all. You know the players. Let's do this." It's, right. a, it's a quote from Hamlet. Which oh. is on our list, Lawrence starring Lawrence Olivier, and um, and when Matt Damon sits in there with Mark Wahlberg and Mark uh, well, Scorsese, you don't know any Shakespeare. Hawthorne, Shakespeare. No, we, we need to and just say it's not, Shakespeare. The was. audio doesn't do it justice. He also does the cheek lift. Yeah, he lifts his leg. The full hundred um, percent. Hamlet starring yes. Lawrence, Sir Lawrence Olivier is one of the ones that we'll get to, and then just the last reference of a Best Picture winner too is in there when the opening. Uh, or our introduction to Alec Baldwin when he's going through the the cast of uh, characters who are supporting Jack Costello. Yeah, uh, he goes. Uh, this is Fitzy. Yeah, he lives he's with his mom. Yeah, he lives, lives with his mom. mom. She's straight out of "It's Going My Way," and "It's Going My Way" is a musical that is yeah, on this list too. That. Yeah, straight out of "Going My Way." Um, so that that would be a, one he's referencing uh, a mu- uh, an old movie, uh, and it's a movie about a priest. Believe it or not. Um, I mean, I believe yeah, so just kind of cool, two cool references there. I think that we've summed this one up. I mean, one of my last questions is is going to be if if you just kind of just thumbed it off, and you've already answered this question, and you didn't you didn't necessarily see all ninety movies, but you just said where do you think you know just in a guess standpoint where would this pump the ninety? And you said probably 15. about about 10, 10 or fifteen. 
10 15 i think that this movie within within cinema is um it lets the actors be themselves and kind of do their thing and it, it all comes together as a greater whole where we'll end up in, in a one in 90 i mean I, I you know off the top of my head you know i, I think that I think 15 is an interesting idea this means probably maybe 20 25 maybe 30 you know uh, i don't know though we'll see where we'll see as we go I think this has been uh, this has definitely been a thorough discussion of The Departed. You know, there are some hot takes and some cold takes in the mix there. We definitely have lost all of our good fellas faithful. You know, you're not going to necessarily agree with everything we say, but that's part of it. We want you to disagree. We want you to understand. You know. I don't want you to disagree. I want you to understand that Goodfellas <laughs> is a bad movie. We and thank everyone for listening. We appreciate you spending these two and a half hours with us. And uh, again, if you disagree with what we think, uh, it's okay to it's okay to come back at us. Come back at us, give us the business, and we'll figure it out. Thank you for listening. Give me the business. You pick a song. I know, I know you want to see just music, but I'm trying to comment on it. You pick a song. Okay, okay.